Welcome to 2024. Wow, happy new year. We finally arrived in the new year. It's still January 1st, 2024. Doesn't that sound like sort of a weird fake date? 1-1-24. I don't know what it is about that day. January 1st, 2024. Doesn't seem real. But then a lot of the stuff that happened in the past day or so doesn't really seem real. Um, yeah, I'm sitting here on my porch. It's already dark out, but it's not that late. What is it, like uh, 5.34? Ooh, look, I just got an answer to this uh, question. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Anyway, um, yes, it's 5.34 p.m. on the 1st, and uh, on my porch, I'm having a little cigarillo, and I have some more of that scotch I talked about last time, the Laphroaig quarter cask. And, uh, yeah, we last spoke, I last spoke to you on, on the previous episode yesterday, but it doesn't seem like yesterday. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think I ended that previous episode uh, in the wee hours of the morning, a little after midnight on December 31st, which was yesterday. So, uh, trying to work it out in my mind. I think, so I think, uh, the day before that, the 30th, I, I did, uh, a finish, uh, reviewing uh, and and uh, editing the book on Sug Radio, and I uh, submitted it for final release. And uh, so, yesterday at some point, I think in the morning, uh, it was approved by Amazon to go for sale on their stores. And uh, so I uh, I officially released it. I made some posts. I made. A 3D image of it can kind of a low-res free site, but I just wanted to do it real quickly to get it out. So the Onsug book is 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 now Onsug Radio. The new edition is out and available for purchase. Can you believe it? That was such a major accomplishment and happened on the last day of the year. Oh, I was so relieved and so happy that this book is finished. Uh, this version of the book that is is finished. It, it's it's and it's released. So yeah, um, I know the like the main page for the book is onsug.com slash book, but um, I haven't updated that yet. But if you, there's a post out right at the top right now of the blog, we can go to the Amazon page and you can see uh, the front cover, back cover. You can look inside and uh, buy a copy for. Right now in the U.S., twelve dollars and fifty-nine cents. I was—it was a little weird because at first it said sixteen eleven, and I'm like, "What the hell? Why is it sixteen eleven? I wanted to make it as cheap as possible, but it resolved and went back to twelve fifty-nine, uh, which is the lowest possible price. In which, as I'm saying, I don't make any money because this is a non-commercial project, and I do take that very seriously, um, and I want as many copies of this as possible out there. This, uh, that was, what? I said that the Amazon app is closing. It's not. It's fine. Look at that cover <laughs> on Amazon. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I really feel like, as I was saying last time, this, uh, this new edition of the book is, improves in every way on the previous edition from uh, 2021. And uh, I'm so happy with the graphics, the color scheme, the contents, the typography, everything. And, of course, this is not just a regular book. It is the vessel in which our enormous audio archive is is carried forward, right? The idea is that uh, 
at some point in the future, near or far, right? The existence of archived audio files somewhere in the internet or whatever the internet will become would be uh, one of trillions of entries and it would be so difficult for someone to find it or run across it. But one copy of this book um, could exist on a bookshelf. I think it will last hundreds of years, I would hope. I have books that are hundreds of years old and They've turned a little brown, but other than that, you can still read them, you know. I don't know about the kind of paper they're using. At what point in 500 years will it crumble to dust? But anyway, the idea is that that this a, a physical piece, a, a physical object is like an anchor in reality. And um, at that point, you know, because at some point I do want to include the audio files in the book itself on some sort of data chip or something. But until then, it's a reference point that... Uh, tells of the existence of this archive to someone and uh, and hopefully then they can find it so the more copies that are out there the better that's why i wanted it for many other reasons obviously because this is tech really a, a non-commercial project i mean i suppose i could have uh made the argument that the book itself is not part of the project it's about the project yada yada but i didn't want to do that um, it, it, i am not making money off this and uh, i feel better about it that way at twelve dollars and fifty nine cents, what the hell? What the hell are you going to get for that? You can't even get lunch for that anymore. You can get a copy of this book and uh, buy multiple copies. The cover, of course, is uh, this this orange, deep orange color, and the logo is uh, black, and the and the typography is is in that moonlight, that off white color, and it says on Sug Radio, and above it. Weird old variety, and above that, the complete archives of the Overnightscape Underground. And then there's two circles to the left and right, sort of evocative of the old radio tuners uh, of car radios, volume and uh, and tuning. It says established 1999, which uh, is the case uh, because through this project on Sug Radio. Uh, can be traced back clearly to bluffcosm.com, which began on uh, November 19th, 1999. Um, so there's actually five colors used on the cover. There's that orange color, the black, and the uh, moonlight is what it's called. That off-white is moonlight. But then also um, on the color side I use, I think, I forget, Colorpedia or something. I forget, I, I have it written down somewhere. That color, the orange color is called Galliano. And that color or thereabouts has always has been my favorite color for many years. So if you if you were to take sort of divide the color pie in, into thirds, um, you see towards the bottom there that sort of purplish color. That's like an ultraviolet, uh, a violet color that's that's a one third away. And then the little triangle highlights on the buttons where it says established 1999 are, are a green color called Caribbean green. And um, so those are the five colors used on the cover. And uh, so, yeah, underneath the title, it says Broadcasting from Inside This Book. And the fonts used on the cover, the main font used, of course, is uh, where it says The Complete Archives, Broadcasting from Inside the book, This Book. And what's underneath it is uh, the Libre Franklin, which is the pretty much the only font used in the interior of the book. I, I tried to stay very focused typographically on one font and Libre Franklin, which, of course, is based on Franklin Gothic, which is a classic font 
um, really works in this book. And I have, you know, looking at the topography of the previous book was is almost a bit painful for me because in retrospect, uh, there was a lot wrong with the topography in the previous book. That font I used had too much letting and the the woodcut font I used as the um, the headers was flawed. Listen, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. At the time, it all made sense to me. Um, yeah, and the main logo of the, of Ansug is uh, slightly uh, redrawn, not redrawn, but the the G I had to sort of edit slightly is a font called um, <coughs> Roberta Fancy Caps. And for a long time, I've been using that font as uh, the main font for um, the uh, the Ansug projects. And um, there's actually an interesting story behind that, which is that uh, the font Roberta is by uh, Robert Trogman and from his Photostar company in the 1970s. I think it's from 74. So a couple years ago, we went up to Toronto in Canada and I got a book, a paperback book, and this is all on the show. I talked about all this. It's uh, I forget the name of the book, but it had a font that looked very similar to Roberta, but it wasn't exactly any of the ones that were out there. So I think I put it. They, I don't think they still have it, but there used to be this font forum on my fonts where you could identify fonts. It's still there, but I think last time I tried to use it, they said it wasn't working. Maybe it's working again, but someone. Uh, Oh, it was some, it was something O M H A Omaha. It was some sort of weird fantasy novel, a, a mass market paperback, and um, someone's like, "Oh yeah, that's the uh, the fancy uh, no that that's the titling caps version of um, <clears throat> Roberta." So I I did some research and I found on one website there were scans. I think it was that another Canadian. Thing the site uh, of font and snot, snot and fonts or whatever by Luke something. He had posted some images from a Photostar font catalog, including all these other variations of Roberta that were not represented in any digitized form. However, there was this guy, <laughs> and again, I don't have any of the names of this stuff, but the, he sells the who was selling the font on Font Brothers or Font Bros B R O S. And had apparently worked with Robert Trogman to create this version of Roberta. I emailed him and showed him there's all these other versions of Roberta. Could you possibly contact Mr. Trogman and, and see if you could produce these fonts? I, I'll, I'll be the first in line to buy them. And he did. This, I mean, it took a while, but he created these fonts, including the fancy caps here. I bought them, and I, I've, I've been using them ever since. So I had to, actually, I didn't create these fonts, obviously, but I had a hand in them being released to the public. Uh, the actual uppercase G has another little spur on the upper side of the, uh, the upper right side, which I removed because I didn't quite like it. Otherwise, that is fancy caps, with, you, know, get, you know, sort of with an arch. I give it an arch. Um, and where it says Weird Old Variety in Radio, and then Frank Edward Nora at the bottom, is exactly the same typography from the previous edition, is a font called the Bussarama from IT, ITC, I believe, Bussarama. Uh, but everything else is uh, is the Libre Franklin. So 
right? Underneath it says broadcasting from inside this book, which is a variety of a radio station inside a book, which was the subtitle of the previous edition called The Onsug, a radio station inside a book. I know I thought long and hard about that, but I decided to change it to Onsug Radio as the name of the project just because it's more descriptive. So I could have said Onsug Radio, a radio station inside a book, but then you're using the word radio twice. That's why I changed it to Broadcasting Room Inside This Book, and it was more this book as opposed to a book. Because if I say a book, is that referring to this book or is it referring to some other book? <laughs> you know. So this is more specific. Um, uh, also, really low battery? That's crazy. I may have some batteries in my pocket, though. I don't know if I do, though. Let me see. Uh, my jacket on here. I do, actually. Wow, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Those batteries worked. <laughs> so I didn't have to get up to get new batteries. Plus, I lit up another cigarillo here. Um, yeah, so we're looking at the cover here. Let me bring it back up here on my phone. Yeah, and also it kind of resonates with, what was that counterculture book? Steal this book, you know. Was it by Abby Hoffman or something? So they use something with this book, you know. Um, sort of refers to the book itself as an object on its own cover, so it's this self-referential thing. Kind of gives it a little bit of a countercultural vibe or a subcultural vibe, you know. And um, written under there in, a, in the italic of Libre Franklin says... Be you in the near or far future, join us for over 14,000 hours of rambling audio adventures exploring leisure time, pop culture, the mysteries of the universe, and the madness of the mundane. And that is a phrase that I went through dozens and dozens of iterations of. And in fact, that one I had moved past from at one point, but I went back to it. I'm like, no, wait a second. That one actually, you know, just feels right. So I, I really do like that one talking about leisure time, which distinct from pop culture involves travel and food and drink and all sorts of things. <laughs> pop culture specifically is the media stuff. And then the mysteries of the universe covers all of our philosophical weird conspiracy theories, theories of the universe, etc. And the madness of the mundane is just sort of all the little day-to-day -day things that happen that are really quite strange. So I felt it really kind of captured the spirit of the network here. Um, underneath that is uh, the purple city at night. And that, of course, is that same image I've used on every book. Originally from the National Oceanographic and Aeronautical Administration. I think that's how NOAA website that image is now no, no longer online, but I did save the web pages that it was on, and that's actually in the uh, the vault, which I'm uploading the new version of the vault right now. Um, it's Valparaiso, Chile at night in like 80, 1983 or something. It's, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what year, but um, it would always sort of struck me as a good image to illustrating a just a city in motion at night. In this case, it's. Uh, Rendered almost abstract with the, the purple color, purple on black. But you can still get the sense of it. And it's in a uh, uh, a shape that uh, it, it sort of follows the logo angles uh, on the top. So think of like an hourglass shape 
kind of like a, a rectangle where there's a, a halfway down the rectangle imagine you sort of bisected it and then you sort of brought you put a, a control point on each side and brought it in so it's sort of like an hourglass shape or sort of the shape that's on the back of a is that the shape that's on the back of a black widow that hourglass shape anyway it I first was just going to follow the angles of the logo and first I did that the other way so it looked more like it bulged but then I did it the, this way and not only uh, did it look good, it actually has a, a, a very specific uh, symbolic uh, context, which is uh, if you were to turn it 90 degrees, it looks like an hourglass, the old way of measuring time, a glass uh, construct where there's sand in a top area and then there's a small opening to an, an equal bottom area. And sand runs through there slowly, measuring time. And you could make one, for example, that measures one hour of time. It was a way of measuring time without clockwork or digital means, or even a sundial, per se. Maybe they used a sundial originally to calibrate it. But anyway, uh, right, so that represents the passage of time. Turning it on its side, if you took an actual hourglass and turned it on its side, it would stop the process of time passing, right? The idea is we are transcending time and space, such as right now. You're listening to this, but you're in the future, yet you're sort of hearing me here in the past. And it's, uh, it's, it, it's a way of stopping time in between and synchronizing the past and the f- present and the future and all sorts of things. <laughs> Maybe I'm making it too complicated, but... That is sort of specifically the uh, the concept behind that shape, uh, that it represents tra- our, our contact with the future. And uh, in the middle there is uh, the original OnSug logo from the very first dawn of the Overnightscape Underground in, uh, I think it was December 2007. Right, that was the the origins of it, and it is the letters O N S U G or Ansug, done with uh, almost like pixels or squares, and uh, yeah, if you go back and look at the very first graphic, that is exactly how it is shown there. So I wanted to include that. Oh, I should mention that uh, while I'm mentioning that, there is another little hidden thing. Um, I don't know how hidden it is, but in the it's very specifically in the uh, the main logo. Uh, around the time I added the 1999 thing is, uh, and I understand probably most people wouldn't notice it, but I would. It uh, you know if it, it, it if you turn it upside down, it's like six 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 one or one six yeah six 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 one. So it's like a hidden six sixty six. That was not intentional. It is not anything I have no there is no intent trying to associate myself with anything like that it is a simple coincidence and I you know was a bit disturbed by it when I discovered it but the project did start in 1999 and it was important for me that it did start back in the 1900s the 20th century I could have easily have said 2000 but it didn't have the same ring and it really wasn't True. I mean, this project, it did start as an audio project in 2000, but it started a few months earlier in 1999, which is, I think, is much cooler. 
So I am keeping it and just saying there is no intent of including a 666 on there. But very small in the upper left hand. So this, all right, so just the background of this logo. See, I didn't realize there's so much to talk about on the cover, but there is. Um, the origin of this logo was something called um, <coughs> uh, I think it started off being called the, the Rampler Mini Radio was the original idea of it. And for some reason I, I remember kind of a time on the show when I went up to uh, the Museum of Natural History and I, then I was walking down Broadway way up on the Upper East Side Upper West Side and um the Rampler Mini Radio was this idea, and it's sort of similar in terms of bringing the digital audio into the real world. It would have been these little cards that listed a small set of shows with a checklist. And these cards would be distributed. You could print them out or order them online, and it would be the set of shows you can then listen to online and check off as you listen to them. And I thought, and I created, it originally it was very just square, and uh, it had the title, the Rampler Mini Radio, on the top. And I don't know if it had a different name at first, but um, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Listen, I'm not prepared for all this. There's, there's a lot going on in this cover. But anyway, it was eventually called the Rampler Mini Radio. And the first version was square. And then I created – and I, I, I think I made one of them as sort of a test. I never did anything with it. Then I, I did created the more flared, angled look that you see there. Um, and it sort of felt somewhat like uh, mid-century, like a, a, a jukebox at a diner or a mid-century car radio or something. It kind of had that vibe to it. And there were little circles with dotted lines around them as th those were the check marks. So, if, so that was actually the basis of it. And I've used that graphic a few times. I think there was one episode called Concourse of the Southern Fish where I – took all the writing off of it and just put it there blank or something like that. That's uh, Fomalot. Fomalot? The, the star called Fomalot? Fomalout? F-O-M-A-L-H-A-U-T? Fomalhout? Concourse of the Southern Fish. Um, and I left those little circles with the, the dotted lines around them. And then... On a whim, at one point, I forget when it was, I actually added the Onsug logo there and the radio and everything. And um, I did it real quick. I forget when it was. And I just threw it as a piece of show art. Threw it on as a piece of show art. As a one-off. As something like, yeah, whatever. And I kind of ignored it for a long time. And, you know, I had that page on uh, theovernightscape.com slash art where I'm uh, – I have all the show art from when I – you know, from the – I think I started doing show art episode 500-something. And a lot of times I look through that for inspiration and look at my, looking at my own personal history and stuff, and that's in the archive as well. It's an offline version. Um, I mean, the vault. Yeah, We'll talk about the vault at some point. Um, anyway, yeah, so at some point I, I rediscovered it. I'm like, you know, that really looked good. Let me play around with that some more. And I really started to fall in love with that graphic, and that has become the main logo now fairly recently. It happened uh, this year because I, as of uh, – as you may have seen, 
around the time of the anniversary back in March of 2023, I was using the book cover when it was still called the Overnight Escape Underground as kind of an icon for the project. And then slowly I moved over to this one. And I, re- I painstakingly rebuilt that uh, graphic in, in Illustrator uh, so that it was sort of perfected in some ways. I did you know, all of the t- little adjustments to the typography. I made sure that there was an SVG that worked, all sorts of things. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's the, So if you look, there's this, if you zoom in, you can see sort of the remnants of a couple at the top and bottom. There's like a, that dotted circle. And uh, you might think, just take it out. But I thought it was cool to leave it in there. And because those little tiny graphics are in there, I thought, you know, I really should include the original Bluff Cosm logo, which was kind of a stylized letter B with sort of uh, on the top of it, there were two dots. And it was actually this font I created for Balbi type, uh, my project back in the mid, was it 93 maybe, 94. And I did eventually put together an SVG file that it contains all the fonts because I didn't really feel like making actual fonts out of them. This font was called Checkmate, and it's one that I sort of drew by hand back then, 30 years ago. And it was the lowercase, well, there was only, no, there was only one case for this font, but it was the, the B from that font doubled up. And um, so that was the logo for, the first logo for BluffCosm.com in uh, 99. So I included it there, and there's actually a hidden meaning there. If you look at the squares that were part of the original graphic, I took that and I divided it, I think it was 6 by 4 or 4 by 6 um, subdivisions that represented the 24 years between 1999 and 2023 as we reached the 24-year anniversary of the origin of the project in 1999, uh, now, you know, back in November 2023, a couple months ago now. So, uh, in the one of those squares, I put the old logo and I scaled it within that subsquare or within that subrectangle to be um, 57.89%, which is 11 divided by 19. And of course, we know 11 times 19 is 209. So that's there in the cover as well. And uh, as the final addition to the cover that was just a week or two ago, um, I did put a little secret 209 in the city graphic. And uh, it's not visible on the actual print book cover, but in the PDF, I think it is still visible. Um, It is... uh, what the hell? Where'd it go? Hold on a second. Ah, oh, here it is. Yes. Um, so it is. Sorry. Towards the the lower right of the purple graphic. Um, if you see on the right there, there's slightly a triangle shape. It almost looks like the sail of a ship. Well, in the lower right of that shape, if you zoom in, there is a 209 typeset in a ultra obscure font called Pan. And uh, in some versions you can see it, some you can't. But and in the print version you can't see it because of the dots that make up the printing. But I, th- I thought I should put a little 209 in there because that has always been my number. And then uh, I I put these radio tower graphics on the left and right. And then of course, as I mentioned, the Frank Edward Nora in that 
oval shape is exactly the same as on the previous edition of the book. So that's one thing I kept from the previous edition of the book. And there's a, there's a black outline around everything. And I really agonized over that. I went back and forth, but eventually I decided to keep it because I felt that in various uses of this graphic, it, it might, if it was just that colored background, and if you lost the colored background, it might lose the shape. The rectangle implies at some level a book. So I wanted to keep that. The Radio Tower graphics were, a f- they were free graphics found on pixabay.com, which is a, a they have a, a, a sort of public domain images or images that you can unlimited use for any purpose. I'm not sure what Radio Tower that actually is. But I inserted them there, um, mirror images of each other, because I thought it was, um, it just looked good and it added another um, visual cue to it being a radio station type of thing. Um, now, this also brought up to me, and I did research it, um, you know, the idea of two towers is really heavily symbolic in many different levels, and I'm very aware of it. So I wanted to make sure, I, I knew I had heard about it in terms of Masonic uses, like in Masonic lodges, they have these two towers. I forget that one, they have names like Joachim and Boaz or something, I forget exactly what the names are, but... I wanted to make sure that wasn't the sole use of it because I didn't, certainly didn't want to imply any of that stuff because I know now there's pieces on this cover that could be those people that are familiar with the topic of, of, of this occult imagery, which I'm somewhat, in, somewhat familiar with those topics, and whether or not any of that stuff is legitimate or a big scam, I don't know. You know but I know that those that information is out there. I found that this... This uh, the idea of two towers on the left and right transcends that usage, and that it's something that is uh, is ancient and symbolic of whatever's between the two towers is sort of an entry to a new world, which I thought was perfect because it's this is a little audio our little audio universe here. So again, it's not in reference to any specific thing that's occult, but it does have a deeper meaning, which is sort of an entry to a new world which uh and it's weird like is it is it slightly off center <laughs> I don't know but it is what it is at this point something weird happened there yeah that was certainly an accident if it's off center um but like that japanese philosophy that some small imperfections make something more appealing Wabi-sabi, is that what it's called? Uh, anyway, so then that's the complete book cover concept here. So I worked so much on this cover, and it went through so many uh, revisions, and I'm just very happy with the way it looks. Um, the back cover is largely the same as the previous edition. I kept all the same host images. It says Meet the Hosts, and it has uh, 20 of the hosts there. Same exact as the last book. That was... Um, that was such a, a, a huge project to get those images and contact everyone. I, I didn't want to um, complicate it any more than it had to. Uh, then in the lower left, you do see um, the same logo, but just black on the, the gold color, the, the orange color, or ochre. I, th- I prefer to think of it as yellow ochre. Um, without any of the additional colors, which is another use of it. It, it, can j- it doesn't need to have those other colors, so... And then it just says onsug.com beneath that. And then 
Uh, I don't think they're showing it easily here, but I'll, I'll look at it right here. Um, the spine was actually a bit challenging, and I chose to reproduce the entire cover at the top of the spine, and I wonder why more people don't do that, you know? I know a lot of books that are thinner. It would, it would be kind of pointless to try to include the cover. Um, while this book at 546 pages or so is um, less long than the previous edition, which was 700 pages, it's still quite a bit of real estate on the spine. So I did just put the entire cover there on the top. Again, I don't know why more people don't do that. It just sort of worked. The bottom is the same exact Frank Edward Nora graphic, but then I came to how do I represent the title? How do I represent the title on the spine? Because it, the Onsug Radio logo is very rectangular in overall shape. It doesn't really lend itself to being long and thin like you need on the, on the cover. And I didn't want, and I really wanted to maintain the type of typographic identity. So I took the Onsug as is, but made it black without any of the outlines or anything. And then I used, the sa- again, the same exact letters uh, in Basarama from where it says radio, but I letter spaced them back in. And I, uh, I agonized over the relationship of the two and came up with what you see. And then I put the broadcasting from inside a book in one line above that. And I really like how that came out. And I actually included that when I redid the graphic of, uh, of the, the card game included in here, uh, Flea Devil Solitaire. From Onsug Radio, I use that exact use that exact uh, usage, and I think that's yeah. No, I did I did the spine first, then I did that logo because the card game, which is another piece of the book, <laughs> uh, I I I believe in this card game so much. It's a solitaire game. It's unlike anything else out there, and I really would love the world to discover this and play this game. The thought did occur to me to try to monetize it, to try to do this and that, but in the end, if it's called Fleet Devil Solitaire from Monster Radio, it's always going to be helping to uh, m- make people aware of this radio project. And the whole point of the game is that you can play it while you're listening, as I do all the time. I play I, I play this game all the time. I, I I'm in the middle of quite a nice run right now. <coughs> with a, uh, a jamboree and all sorts of things. There's, I think I already have a snafu and a jamboree, and it's, it's, it's a big game I'm in the middle of. As you play it in rounds, you know, three strikes, you're out. Anyway, uh, that's the story of the graphics on the cover, and I, I just really am so happy with how it came out. I, and again, I think it's eye-catching. It doesn't really look like anything else. Um, it really achieves the goals I set out for it. Um yeah, so, I mean, the contents, uh, there is this thing called the Onsug Radio Vault, which I was very surprised that there already was something called Onsug Radio Vault, currently residing on channel 202 on the Internet Archive section where that has all the files. So uh, this one is much expanded and has so much stuff in it, and it's listed in the book. I'm not going to get into it right now, but there's a lot of stuff. I should actually, in a future episode, I'll, I'll, I'll do the vault. Uh there's some fun new stuff in there and again it's at channel 202 and it's called Onsug Radio Vault uh, December 23 DEC 23
Anyways, as I've been outside here for about 40 minutes, the cold is uh, catching up with me, so I think we'll continue this inside. All right, we're inside now. Uh, one, one final note on the cover for now. On, in, in the image of the city, one of the buildings on the side of it, it says Securidad. Uh, Securidad, or Securidad, however you pronounce that in Spanish, Securidad, which means security. Certainly a coincidence, but kind of relates to how the files have been secured to travel across time. It crossed my mind, at least. Um, anyway, it is now 2024. It's pretty weird to say that. And I can't help but think, those of you in, in the f further future... That must sound like such an old-fashioned date to you, like uh, you know, like when I hear myself say, "Oh my God, I can't believe it's like 2005 already." <laughs> really, Frank? It's such a such a long time ago. But for me, it's a fresh new year, 2024. Anyway, um, new things have come into the public domain. In fact, all works. This is only in the United States, by the way. From 1928 have now entered the public domain. Huge, huge, huge amount of stuff, including most spectacularly, perhaps, uh, Steamboat Willie, the first, I believe the first wide-released uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon. It was preceded in production and I think limited release by Plain Crazy and Galloping Gaucho. Galloping Gauchos, maybe. And, um, but Steamboat Willie... I think because it was around the time sound technology was being introduced, they decided to uh, go big with Steamboat Willie as the introduction of the world to Mickey Mouse. And uh, that is now in the public domain, so that version of Mickey Mouse is now belongs to the world, or at least to the people in the United States. I don't know how it works in around the world. There's so many different laws all around the world with this stuff. But Also, it hasn't really been talked about too much, but in an entire year's worth of music, is now in the public domain, 1924. All the music, and in fact, if you go on just the George Blood collection on Internet Archive, there's like six or like over 6,000, like 6,400 songs in the in their database that are now newly public domain. So, just wanted to mention that big public domain uh, releases today. Anyway, um, you know, I like talking about alternate timelines a lot on this show, and I, I think I experienced one, or at least I can have, I can sort of imagine what the other timeline would have been like. As you may know, I'm a huge fan of the band Fish. Now, my awareness of the band Fish started back in the mid-1990s because I was working at this uh, pre-press shop and this guy, uh, Frank, was the cousin of... I worked with Carmine and Vinny at this place. And their cousin Frank came around and worked there occasionally. And he was a huge deadhead and huge fish fan. And as far as I can remember, he wanted to get us into the Grateful Dead. But he felt it would be too difficult. So this other band, Fish, which was probably fairly new in their wide popularity in the mid-90s there... He thought it would be easier to get us into fish and then th from there, as a gateway drug, get into the Grateful Dead. Uh, so he played us a lot of fish. He that was the early days of burning CDs and stuff. And 
uh, we were listening to a lot of fish there, and uh, we were ta- he would talk to us about it, what it meant, and the, the history of everything. And I believe he started telling me about you know the Gamehenge saga of the man who stepped into yesterday and all this other stuff. And um, that really was my foundation with both bands, and it took a hell of a long time for me to really get into them. It's about eight years ago in uh, 2015, maybe nine years ago now. Wow. Um, I started working at that fashion company I'm still working at, and I felt very alone and isolated. And I I got, went down the rabbit holes of both bands. I started getting into both of them much, much, much deeper. And my fish fandom has only increased ever super... Uh, that's the right way of saying it. It's always getting bigger and bigger, my fandom of fish. In fact, I never went to see a fish show until uh, 2018. After work, uh, they were doing their uh, Baker's Dozen show at Madison Square Garden, 13 shows in a row. And uh, I found I could get a ticket cheap to the, one of the midweek shows, which was the Maple Donut Night. And uh, I went in Section 209, and... Uh, it was my first fish show, and I really, you know, even now, I don't think I've I've been my I, I may have be in the teens now. Maybe I've gone to thirteen shows or something like that. Not any more than that. I mean, it's so many people have gone to hundreds of shows, and but my it took me a long time to really get into the and to, to the point that I would actually go see see them in uh, a concert because I've I've sort of traditionally not been a fan of going to concerts. All of the inconveniences involved. Uh, how they treat you like a criminal when you go see a show. Frisk you, go through metal detectors, all exits are final, you can't come back in. You know, So you have to sort of be treated like the worst of the rabble that's gone to this, these venues in the past. It's understandable. I mean, people can be utter monsters and create all sorts of problems. So then they have to treat everyone that way. And You know, very extreme. When it, like, you know, I always thought about, listen, I'm going to go to the movies. You don't have to go through any of that crap. At least you didn't used to. You buy a ticket, you walk in, you sit wherever you want, and that's it. It's, you know, you can go to the bathroom, go back in. It's just like, you know, I don't know if you can go out of the building, and come back in. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. The concerts they treat you as if you are a suspected criminal. And meanwhile, the concerts have been getting more and more expensive. You spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and then you're treated like this. You're treated like you're in prison or something when you go to the place. I always thought that was a little annoying, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. I understand why. It's just... Anyway, so I started going to see Fish more and more, and really, over the summer, I, I did go to all seven shows at their Madison Square Garden run, as I detailed in, on this show. Loved it so much. And, uh, yeah, there's a... You know, there's a Uh, leading up to it, I realized there's, there's a four-night run, which just finished, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the last four days of the year, accumulating in their New Year's Eve show. And their New Year's Eve show always has some sort of a gimmick, a special performance that's always kept secret. Like last year, it was uh, 40 Years of Fish. They had these performers representing all of their different eras, costumes and gimmicks of the past. Um, a few years ago, there was Send In the Clones, where there were the, all these clones of the band and Trey got stuck on a platform and he made up a song called Rescue Squad. And, um, 
for those that don't know, this band Fish, P-H-I-S-H, is uh, certainly got to be. There's really nothing else like Fish. People compare them at some level to the Grateful Dead, and there is there are some surface similarities, but the music is totally different. And uh, the band has been the same four guys for 40 years, and they continue to write new music. They have this rich history of the Game Henge thing, as I was talking about, and um, so many, so much going on. It really appeals to me, and they have so many songs that unlike other bands, every show you go to they never repeat the, the same set list or even a similar set list night after night um, so the seven night run they didn't repeat a single song can you imagine any other band they played seven nights in a row they didn't repeat a single song right, most bands have those songs they have to play every night not so for Fish Fish is a band that probably a large majority of the population has never even heard of I'd never heard a single one of their songs. They have never had a radio hit. They don't... I mean, even the Grateful Dead. There's a few songs they would play on classic rock radio. And uh, they had that big hit with Touch of Grey in the mid-80s, later in their career. Fish has no hits. And they never play them on the radio. Um, Which makes them hard to get into. Because you need to sort of get to know the songs in order to enjoy the band. Um... And it's taken me many, many years to get familiar with... I'm still not familiar with all their songs. Most of them, I would say a vast majority, I do know now. And I can name the song within the first like second of them starting the song. Of course, you don't know if it's a maze or a Bowie, but <laughs> those two songs start the same way. But you know what I'm saying. Um, recently, so I, I didn't buy tickets for New Year's because I didn't know what was going to be going on. You know, we have... a a lot of f- things going on. As you heard, uh, we had a lot of family gatherings, you know, because my wife's birthday is the day after Christmas, so we hosted Christmas Eve here, and then we had, on Christmas Day, we went to our in-laws' house in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and then the following day, we had another gathering here um, for Denise's birthday, and uh, we were actually planning maybe on Saturday to have a game night, which would have been two days ago now. And uh, who knows if we would have uh, planned something for uh, New Year's Eve, As you heard last episode, we all got COVID. We were it was every, some people that were at our gatherings had COVID, and then every not everyone, but just a lot of people got COVID. I got COVID from it. I'm feeling a bit better today, uh, quite a bit better today. In fact, so this is why I'm talking about timelines. As I talked about on last episode, I had tickets to go to the Thursday night show with my neighbor Brad. That was going to be section 209. And then I had tickets for the following night, the Friday night show in section 221, to revisit the section I was in for the entire um, seven nights over the summer. Kitties. The kitties are fighting. Or play, play fighting. Anyway, um, and I, wanted, I, I did want to return to that section because I thought, thought it would be cool to sort of relive what I experienced over the summer from that one spot. And then I was really going to play it by ear. I was going to sort of... Uh, I really wanted to go to all four nights, but I was willing to compromise if, you know, there was going to be some gatherings and stuff. Uh, 
so I think I was sort of on the fence about whether I was going to go Thursday, uh, Friday, and Saturday, and uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, so as it turns out, got COVID and was legitimately too sick on Thursday to go. And I didn't want to be spreading the COVID around. They say the rule of thumb is five days from when you have symptoms. After that, you're pretty much not going to spread it to anyone. So at the time, what happened, as I detailed last time, you know, my wife got a COVID test and I, she's like, take the test. I'm like, if I, but if I take it and I'm positive, I'm not going to be able to go. And it's going to like crush my dreams of seeing fish and everything. But then again, if I'm negative, cause I didn't think I had COVID. I'm like, it's probably just a cold. Then I'll be free and in the clear, even though I may have the sniffles and be coughing a little bit. Hey, I took a test. I'm not, I'm negative. Took the test positive. Even took another test positive. I had COVID. So, I was pretty upset, but my wife's like, you know, by uh, Saturday, you know, it'll be the five days, so maybe you, sh- maybe you can go, you know. Anyway, so the COVID canceled any possibilities of any gatherings on Saturday and Sunday. And I, in fact, last talked to you early Sunday morning after midnight, and I had not yet decided if I was going to go to see the show. Now, this is the uh, the New Year's Eve show that has the gimmick, that has that special performance, and the rumors were flying that they were going to do Gamehenge. And this is something that I've been living with uh, for 30 years now, kind of the um, the whole idea of seeing a performance of Gamehenge. Oh, and by the way, that guy Frank, I texted him on Facebook. I mean, he's someone I really don't have any communication with, but uh, I, I figured I would text him. I said, I hope you were there last night. I think it was you who introduced me to Gamehenge. I almost didn't go, but I bought a ticket yesterday morning and went. And he said, I was there. And I didn't realize that. And you're welcome. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Yeah, as I sort of revealed that part of the story in that message. But uh, so I I was looking on... um, on Ticketmaster that was sold out, but I went on StubHub and I and I was also on SeatGeek looking for tickets and I saw there were some tickets, a lot of tickets still available and uh, the one section that really intrigued me was the Sky Bridge, right? I'd, I'd always seen this Sky Bridge and wondered what it was like up there and I saw some tickets, first row tickets in the Sky Bridge, uh, section 314 specifically, it was the only one for sale. Someone must have had like the whole front row of three three fourteen. They were selling the tickets, and it was uh, two hundred something dollars for the ticket. And I was really debating it, but yesterday morning, I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it." So I told my wife, you know, you know, hope you don't mind. I won't be around for New Year's Eve. Do you want to come? But my wife also has COVID, so she's not quite ready yet to go out. I don't know if I would be either. I didn't want to be coughing on people and stuff. But anyway, uh, in the morning time, I bought the ticket to go. And uh, as I said, there's all these rumors that they were going to be doing this Gamehenge thing. So basically, Gamehenge, I'll try to explain it. Uh, it's very hard to dis- it's very hard to explain. Because I don't think there's, there's any analog in any other band or anything, really, to the Gamehenge thing. So... 
the band you know consists of Trey, Mike, Paige, and John. And uh, Trey is pretty much the leader of the group. And uh, the band started in 1983 while they were still in college. So in 1987, Trey, as his thesis, I guess from a master's program, created this essentially a concept album called The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, which was a musical epic about this, this world called Gamehenge. And a guy named Colonel Forbin from our world, from Long Island, New York, um, was transported there. And that, that land was in great peril because there was a dictator um, Wilson, the king of Prussia, was uh, suppressing all the people in the land, and especially these people called the lizards. They're, they were these people that were very accident-prone and very, very clumsy, and they really needed this this book called the Helping Friendly Book. They, the the book guided them and helped them survive. Without the book, they were just all dying out through clumsiness and idiocy, basically. And Wilson took the book away from them and everyone else. He declared that anyone that has this book is a crook. So he wasn't didn't allow anyone to use the book because he ruled over anyone. He was very evil. So um, Colonel Forbin, along with these other characters, uh, they they work. So each song is about the different aspects of this story. And finally, um, Colonel Forbin has to climb this mountain and meet the great and mighty Iculus, who sends the a famous mockingbird to go and retrieve the helping friendly book and save the people. And the songs, you know, as as often is, someone when they're in that early late teens, early twenties, they have access to some aspect of creativity that is closed off to everyone after I would say about age twenty five or twenty six. It's I don't think it's a super explored phenomenon. We all know Many bands, their first album is the best, and then the second album, and third, and then they sort of start falling off. And the idea is that most of these bands are started when people are in their teens, early twenties. And um, in in brain science, they talk about how the human brain continues to develop until age twenty five, when it finally reaches a, a maturity, and then it levels off in terms of its its development. So I think the idea is that um, the brain has certain capacities uh, in that time period right, of hyper creativity but of course you're lacking life experience to write to create things about that's sort of the, the catch 22 right so uh, whatever life experiences you've had up to that point can, can feed into what you, you can hyper create in that time and uh, from the alternate view of uh, for, for example um morphic resonance you, there's a different view of the mind and biology that there's there's again a hyper connection to what we know as creativity at that time so the songs and the compositions and are just incredible and you can hear all these songs because these are songs that they play at their shows but on, but not all at once they did it twice I think in 1993 or 1994 they played the Game Henge Saga. And you can actually find a recording of Trey's thesis from 1987 called The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday. Um, but this has become the sort of the foundation of the band, both in terms of some of their core songs and 
They wrote other songs that incorporated Gamehenge um, concepts such as Harpua, which is a song that had be, has become very rare about this uh, junkyard dog, this old man with a junkyard dog and this little boy Jimmy and his cat poster nut bag who, who gets killed in the song each time. And Jimmy has these incredible adventures and he is from Gamehenge. Um, also Llama, you know, Keep it on press to press to press. Lama to boot to boot to boot. Um, even Esther, Reba, etc. So it sort of is this fictional universe. Uh, and because you know bands now have had their their verses. So for example, in more recent history, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, a band that I think does share some DNA with Fish in some ways, has their their Giz verse, and they have these different characters and things going on. Uh, and the band, the K-pop band that I loved so much that is now gone, and their successor bands are now out, and I'm not really that interested in it anymore. You know, I, uh, I was such a huge fan of Luna. I stand Luna. They had their Lunaverse, which was, uh, again, sort of this mythology-type uh, s- backstory of the band, and Fish was doing that bef- really such a long time ago. As far as if there's other indication or other instances of bands that have their own universe prior to this i i I think there probably are but i'd have to think more about it but um where there's multiple songs taking place in this fictional universe anyway um some of the songs like colonel forbin's ascent and fly famous mockingbird are very rarely heard in concert (coughs) very very occasionally other songs Divided Sky, which I don't know if it was was a part of the original, but that's fairly common. Incredible song. Why can't people keep quiet <laughs> when, when, when it goes quiet? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, when I was there and it was like, whatever. Everyone should be completely silent in the whole room. That's the whole point of it. Everyone's going nuts. Anyway. Right. The idea that they might play it again since it was... 30 years ago, the last time they played Gamehenge as Fish, uh, it's something that's always talked about. They're going to do Gamehenge. They're going to do Gamehenge. Endlessly, people are talking about this. It's this thing that and everyone's like, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen again. And so it's become this huge thing, right? And as I became more of a fan, I was thinking like, even just to Harpua, which was not part of the original game, uh, Man Who Stepped In Yesterday, I'm like, I can only imagine if I actually was there for a harpua, or if I missed a harpua, I would be so upset. Because uh, the last harpua, I think, was well, it, there was one in twenty eighteen and one in twenty twenty one, right? The one in twenty eighteen was one of the shows I didn't go to for the the uh, Baker's Dozen, where they talked about how the universe is shaped like a donut. And then the the one in 2021, I think it was, was a precursor to Sci-Fi Soldier, which was itself in some ways a, a sequel to Gamehenge that did not go over well with the fandom, though I was a huge fan. Very controversial with the fans. A lot of people uh, were very upset with it. I don't know why. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was amazing. And I'm in the, I'm in the minority, I guess. So anyway... 
people had these uh, rumors that they knew someone that yes, it's going to be Gamehenge. They're finally going to do Gamehenge with a full like Broadway style cast and puppets and this and that. And everyone online was like, "It's not going to happen. You people are idiots. There's not going to be Gamehenge." But as the Fortnite run was going, they didn't play any Gamehenge songs. Though they did play Gamehenge adjacent songs, such as Axilla Part Two, which is they've said takes place in Gamehenge. And um, what was the other one? There was another one that was yeah. There's a few songs that are sort of related to Gamehenge. Uh, well, I, I I mentioned on one of the threads on Facebook, and um, the squirming coil says, "Little Jimmy's gone to camp," and is it the same Jimmy? Maybe. Even the howling, which they did play, it was part of Sci-Fi Soldier, which had the character Holy Blankenstein, who is actually the same as Iculus. Anyway, uh, the rumors were flying that something special was going to happen, so that played into my decision to go. And again, I was a little concerned because it's also, I'd never, I don't think I've ever gone into Midtown Manhattan on New Year's Eve where, for those that don't know, geographically, you have Times Square. A million people go to Times Square to watch the ball drop for New Year's Eve. I've never done that, by the way. Uh, it is literally a 10-minute walk to the south to Madison Square Garden, right? That, so close. So I was very apprehensive. Like, how is this going to work? Because uh, my usual way of going in that I figured out over the summer was I drive 15 minutes from here in Nutley to uh, the Secaucus Junction uh, parking lot. You pay to park. but uh, And then you walk, again, like three minutes to the station and then another 15-minute, 10-minute train ride, and you're in Pennsylvania Station. And Pennsylvania Station and Madison Square Garden are in the same building, essentially. So I started trying to figure out, like, you know, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be coughing? Am I, I'm still a little sick, but I shouldn't be contagious anymore. Um, what about this parking lot? It's New Year's Eve. A lot of people are going to park there to uh, to go into the city, you know, because there's so many roads closed in Midtown and stuff. I'm like, is this parking lot going to be full? I really have no other way. And then how do I get home? But I found that because it's New Year's Eve, New, New Jersey Transit adds tons and tons of trains overnight. They're almost running 24 hours that for that day for all the people that need to get home. So I'm like, listen. So I prepared everything. I did all my research, and I left around 4 o'clock, actually. Normally I, would, I could leave at 6 and get there comfortably really by 7. I mean, it really takes about an hour from here to from door to door, from door to seat using this method, which is... Uh, Actually, faster than the the bus would be, for example. So I got all ready. I uh, drove over there, and uh, you know the parking lot was pretty full, but there were still plenty of spaces, which was great. Um, I had originally planned on taking an Al- one Alka Seltzer Plus when I parked there, but it was a little too early, so I just put the Alka Seltzer Plus in my po- my pocket. I prepaid for parking, which it wasn't a hundred percent clear if it was. It said prepay here, but was it prepaying for later or prepaying just so I could exit? Turns out I was fine. That prepay was fine. Um, in terms of what I wore, I wore what I was originally going to wear, um, which was at a, a T-shirt from TSPTR, a Magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, with this mushroom, and um, a zip-up hoodie that I have that... Uh, 
it seemed warm enough, but it was really cold that day. So I, I decided to add um, this um, it's kind of this tiki Hawaiian short sleeve uh, shirt, button up shirt that I have, just to add another layer. Um, and I figured it was sort of like dressing up weird is kind of a thing at fish, but <laughs> anyway, walked over to the train station and it I got a train immediately in and I was so early. Um got there it's probably like not even five o'clock yet. Um maybe around five. And uh so I figured, you know, I'll 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 walk up Seventh Avenue and see how far I can get before uh, before I'm blocked. I w- I'd never been to the the New Year's Eve in Times Square. So I was like, uh, let me see. So it was a bit chilly outside, but not that bad. So I walked up and, uh, yeah, yeah. at 39th street, you hit into a, um, uh, a, a, you know, a police blockage, you know, with metal fences and stuff. So I'm like, okay. Anyway, let's take a little step back. Cause I'm looking at my notes here. <laughs> uh, so as I was leaving, I went to put on some lip balm. I had this hurrah lip balm that's licorice, and it and it ran out as soon as I was leaving. I'm like, all right, I'll just throw it away. I'll be fine with that lip balm. I don't know. I'm kind of addicted to lip balm, so I re- wasn't really okay. So at Secaucus Junction, it was interesting. You know, over the summer, some of the shows, you can go through Secaucus Junction to go from New York City to uh, the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey to go see shows. So over the summer, uh, first there were all these Beyonce fans going the opposite direction as the Fish fans. It was really fascinating. They're all, Beyonce fans are all dressed up in these glittery outfits. And then the next weekend, uh, it was Metallica fans who would almost universally wear a Metallica T-shirt to the Metallica show. Now, I was all sort of second-guessing myself. I have a ton of Fish T-shirts, but... I was thinking I have a lot of other weird t-shirts that I would prefer to wear. I don't really want to wear the band's t-shirt to their show, but most people do wear fish t-shirts to a fish show. Anyway, um, this time it was Giants fans. Uh, there was a football game that day, and uh, people were going the opposite direction. All these people wearing Giants jerseys and Giant graphics uh, jackets and shirts and things. There's a few Rams fans. They must have played the Rams, I guess. I don't know. I don't follow football. I don't, I'm not interested in it at all, really. I mean, I, I can watch a football <coughs> game and enjoy it, I suppose, but I don't. it's not something that I really have time or energy for. Anyway, so I figured I'll go to the little convenience store there at Secaucus Junction train station and definitely get some cough drops. I went up getting some Hall's cherry cough drops. And then maybe some lip balm, but they didn't have any good lip balm. I prefer vegan lip balm, which is very hard to find. You're not going to find it in any normal store. But I didn't want to get chapstick or blistec or anything like that. I'm a lip balm snob. As I'm in line, though, I uh, I look over and there's all these like Slim Jims and you know beef jerky. And this one product is just called meat stick. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile... One of Fish's greatest shows ever, I think probably the greatest show would be Big Cypress from 99, the New Year's Eve show, which you can actually watch the whole show on YouTube, I think. And they uh, started off New Year's, the new year of 2000, I guess it was, uh, with the song Meat Stick, 
Hot on the meat stick, bury the meat stick, <laughs> meat stick now. <coughs> Whoa, shocks your brain, right? So I took a picture of it, and I did post it on Reddit. I'm like, is this a sign? Meat stick, because the, the product was actually called meat stick, which is the exact name of the song. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, got a few few comments on that post. Um, anyway, let's fast forward. So I, my plan was to go over to uh, the Moynihan Train Hall, which is a, n- a new train station built across the street from Madison Square Garden in the old post office building. And I read that they have a, a, a ramen place there called, I think, E-A-K Ramen, uh, that has vegan ramen. And of course, vegan ramen is like my favorite food. So I actually just walked from 39th, I walked down to like 37th, and I went over to 8th, and then I walked down to the entrance of the Moynihan, and, uh, what the hell? Oh, not related. Anyway, let's back up for a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, when I got to Penn Station, I figured I would get the lip balm because I really needed it. And I know it's a psychological thing, but I am kind of addicted to lip balm. So I said, let me go to the Dwayne Reed, which is, um, it was bought by Walgreens, right? So this says, now it says like Dwayne Reed by Walgreens, you know, because Dwayne Reed is a very New York kind of store. So, as you may have seen, uh, these type of stores in areas uh, where there's a, like New York City, where there has been a, what's the way to put this? Law enforcement has been disadvantaged in various ways so that shoplifting has become rampant at these stores. And I've seen it at the uh, Dwayne Reed at um, Port Authority Bus Terminal they have to lock away more and more products behind uh, locks, right? They have these uh, plastic cases with these locks, and you're supposed to press a button, and someone that works at the store will come unlock it for you to give you the product to buy. Um, so sad. There's actually a video going around last week showing someone with an actual blowtorch, you know, just that canister and the nozzle and, and just the fiery thing coming out of the end. Literally melting the locks at at a CVS or Walgreens or one of those kind of places. Melting the locks, which apparently melt very quickly, right? Because it's just surrounded by plastic. Opening up the containers and then taking whatever's in there, shaving cream or uh, cold medicine or whatever, and uh, just putting it in a bag and just stealing it and walking out. And there's nothing they can do. The store policy does not allow their employees to confront or stop the people and the police apparently will never respond uh, they have no they don't have the numbers or the desire or the will to respond to these things apparently and uh, if someone's even arrested for shoplifting they'll be slapped on the wrist and they'll be out the next day I mean in fact there's a story that was really shocking to me uh, in the dining concourse of Grand Central where yeah I was just I think I was just recording there just last week right at this place, Tartinery, um, this mentally ill man declared he wanted to kill all white people and st- stabbed two white teenage girls 
not life-threateningly, but certainly severe injuries. Um, he had been arrested innumerable times for violence and erratic behavior, but they can't keep people, they have no system to keep people in jail or anything. And apparently he, I don't, I didn't verify this, but apparently he's been released again, right? So this is what's going on in New York City. I mean, it's the law enforcement has been uh, decimated. Um, you may recall back in 2020, the defund the police stuff. Not to get too heavily into this thing, but I'm seeing the devastation caused by these policies. Um, and I think I mentioned it when I was there. You sort of see this weird desperation and degradation of New York City uh, that this is certainly a part of. And I know it's a complicated issue and there's many sides to it, whatever, but it's sad. It's very sad to see for me. Anyway, I went to the, the CVS at, or, or the, uh, the Duane Reed at a Penn, uh, Penn Station, and it was even worse. It was almost 90% of the products were locked behind uh, plastic uh, things, and uh, there was, like, no one in there. It was Well, I mean, obviously because it was New Year's Eve, but you could tell things have completely changed. It was so sad. Convenience stores are such a part of the uh, the life of a city, and for them to be damaged like this takes away from the life of a city. So I uh, was so desperate to get lip balm, I bought some Burt's Bees, which does have beeswax in it, which is a, an edge case for vegans as I am. I needed it. I got it. I used it. Whatever. I'm not proud, but <laughs> it's an edge case. Like it's Any of the bee-related things like honey or beeswax, it's the edge of veganism for me. So, yeah. Anyway, so that was sad. So then I went over to the Moynihan, and uh, I went to the food hall. They're not called food courts anymore. They're called food halls. Somehow changing the name from court to hall um, doubled or tripled the prices of everything. <laughs> so, Yeah, and there's actually a cool bar there called the, the Irish Exit. And we were just talking about the Irish goodbye. It's like uh, when you're at a party, you know how it can be painstakingly long process to say goodbye and leave because you have to say goodbye to everyone and it can it can become uh, aggravating. I find it aggravating how long it can take to leave sometimes. So the Irish goodbye is you just leave. You don't say goodbye to anyone, and it's called the Irish goodbye. And I I pretty much uh, I would love if I was able to do that. I know it seems rude, but the alternative uh, long goodbye is. Uh, weird <laughs> anyway so this is called the irish exit which i think is related to that concept and they have one of those um old style train boards where the the letters clack down like like the old alarm clocks you know the letters are printed white on like black metal plates and then they they're in this they're on this kind of cylinder and as it turns they clack down and it makes all these different you know they have like trivia about ireland and stuff it was pretty cool but yeah, the ramen place was shut down. I don't know if it's closed or it was just closed then. I don't know. But all the other restaurants were open. I don't know what happened. But there was this place called Naya that had, uh, I thought they might have some vegan stuff. I, I asked, hey, do you have vegan stuff? And the person by the encounter was like, what? V Vigo? V I don't know, do you have anything vegan? She shook her head and she's like, she calls her manager over. I guess she didn't speak English. I'm like, hey, you got some? Yes, we have vegan stuff. So they were good. So I had a, um, 
I got a uh, sort of a uh, falafel, the fried falafels, not the not the baked falafel, not the unhealthier yet superior fried falafel. But anyway, uh, hummus and falafel and stuff, and it was actually good. And I got and I had got a water, and I uh, was just relaxing. There were clearly fish fans around that were waiting for the doors to open at six thirty at Madison Square Garden, and I drank like two-thirds of the water, and I had just enough left to put the uh, Alka-Seltzer Plus in, so I was able to take my cold medicine closer to the time of the show so I wouldn't be hacking up a lung on people. I haven't been coughing that much anyway. In fact, you can probably tell I'm a little congested, but uh, I haven't taken any cold medicine today. So I did take NyQuil last night. Being sick, I will take the opportunity to take NyQuil, but it's weird. Like, all of these things, like the Alka-Seltzer cold, right, there used to be one product called Alka-Seltzer Cold. And it was like a classic product. And it just worked. It knocked out all the symptoms. Now there's like all these different versions. Like Alka-Seltzer Plus Cold and Alka-Seltzer Plus Cold and Flu Day. Alka-Seltzer Cold pl- Flu Night. All these different flavors. And I, I can't find the original anymore. And even when it came to NyQuil, I think you can still get the original NyQuil, which is sort of that deep green color and that sort of licorice flavor. But I couldn't get it overnight from Amazon, so I got this berry-flavored NyQuil Severe. I, I don't know. There used to be this one version of these products. Now there's so many of them, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so I walked over to uh, the Madison Square Garden, quickly got through security, and went in. And uh, this sky bridge is uh, amazing. I had never been in the sky bridge before or in the 300 section at all. So, you know, the way the tickets work now, I think as I mentioned last time, there's no more paper tickets and there's no more PDFs or printouts or anything. You have to use an app on your phone as your ticket. I do think that if you are one of those people that doesn't have a a phone there are still people out there that refuse to have a phone or have a flip phone or something i think you can go to the box office and get a paper ticket i think of some sort maybe someone has to like let you in or something i don't know but uh as you can probably tell when they used a single barcode it with all the resale going on someone could sell the same ticket multiple times you know which uh would lead to havoc and all sorts of people missing concerts and stuff. So now you're on, you have the Ticketmaster app, for example. So I bought it from StubHub, and the person that listed it on StubHub transferred it from their Ticketmaster account to my Ticketmaster account through email. And while there is a, a, a barcode type thing, it changes every, uh, every like 10 seconds using, uh, you know, cryptography. So... Right, even if you were to take a screenshot of that uh, barcode and try to use it, it would not work because it changes every ten seconds. Right, and it's because uh, it actually is interesting cryptographically. It's kind of like the one-time pad. It's basically it's using key escrow, obviously, but um, right. I believe the back end server has the key that you can't get 
and you have the other half of the key that can be used to be verified by that. So you can generate a code that can only be decrypted by uh, the other half of the code on the back end. Right. And they're able to change the code using some sort of algorithm every 10 seconds or whatever it is. Uh, leading it to it being kind of impossible to crack. Right. Like you couldn't, like I, if I had the ticket and then I sold it, I don't think there's any way for me to use the information I had to create a fake copy of the ticket that's cryptographically changing every 10 seconds itself, right? I don't think it's sort of mathematically impossible thus far, right? These are these codes that would take a normal computer 100,000 years to crack. With quantum computing, in theory, right, this whole system could be consigned to the dustbin of history because any of these codes could be cracked instantly by a quantum computer because it does all the variations at once using near-infinite copies of itself and infinite alternate realities to try all the codes at once, right? Even though we're talking about astronomical numbers of codes. But that's a whole other topic. Um... Yeah, so I went up to the 300 level, and then you have to sort of present your code again. And you get a wristband to get to be able to go into 300 level because they allow people to unlimitedly wander the 200, 100 and 200 levels because uh, that's where most of the uh, restaurants, the vending, and the stores and everything are, the, the merch. But they will check your code when you're going into a section because you know, people that buy a cheaper ticket always try to get into fake their way into a better seat you know and i did that once by accident actually as i talked about one night when i got faked out i didn't realize i thought i already saw the encore but in terms it wasn't the encore and i wound up going to a better section and actually getting a seat that was pretty cool during first tube and that guy was spinning around with glazed eyes by the way i haven't uh, i don't do any kind of drugs or anything other than Alka-Seltzer Plus going to these shows because I was driving and stuff and didn't want even the hassle of it I, I uh, didn't drink at all alcohol or any kind of drugs at these shows and that's fine I know that most people are hell bent on getting super drunk or super wasted or super high or something which I don't know I think it kind of is going to take away from the experience at some level but listen to each their own the people I was next to, I think they were doing some some stuff. I'm not sure. We'll get to that. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the Sky Bridge, it's this whole, it's another full loop level, but uh, it feels more spacious, more exclusive, uh, less crowded, and uh, I really loved it. And my seat, 314 on the Sky Bridge, seat 10, uh, you are, it's literally this bridge that's kind of, uh, it, it was added to Madison Square Garden at some point. And I, I always saw it from my seats in other sections. You could see the bridge, people in the bridge. And of course, last episode um, called it a great deal more revealed was uh, depicted a bridge as the show art. I still don't know. It was all very intuitive how I was making that art and stuff, but 
something more was revealed with this fish show. <laughs> anyway, so to this seat, it is really only like three rows, and the front row is a, are these seats, and in front of you is 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 glass, and beyond that is this it's the edge of the bridge, but when you stand up, the uh, the glass goes to about mid chest level, and you get a sort of a clear view of everything. It was an amazing view of Madison Square Garden. Surreal. I never experienced anything like it. The ticket, it said two something, but with all the fees, it was three fifty. bit expensive, but it turns out to be the best $350 I've ever spent in my entire life. I love the feeling of Madison Square Garden early in the night before a lot of people are there there's a certain vibe and actually the food and drink are cheaper of course anything you buy is going to like you know like a water is going to be like nine dollars or something a bottle of whatever it's like super expensive everything's super expensive all i got was waters and i I bought some potato chips to eat you know even though there was a vegan place last time i don't know if it was still there i didn't see it i did walk around 100s but we'll get to that anyway I had a perfect view very high up of the of the floor, the general admission area. And there's this thing called tarpers. People bring cloths, blankets, uh, tarps to define this, their space in general admission. And there's always a lot of conflicts in general admission. People hate tarpers. I would never in a million years do general admission. It's just not something I have any interest in. But I could see them. I got some good pictures of GA. There was one group of people all dressed up in gold. All these gold outfits. It was very interesting. Anyway, the people started sitting down next to me. So I was talking to people to my left and people to my right. Everyone had just bought the ticket that day from the resale sites. Uh, As it turns out, we were all so happy that we went that night. Um, People to my left, there was a couple from Long Island. Just like Colonel Forbin. And uh, I guess she had been going to see fish since 92. And uh, he was sort of a newer boyfriend who she got into fish. To the right were these guys uh, from South Jersey. I didn't get any names, but um, this guy was a super fish fan. In fact, uh, he's been going for years. Younger, though. I think he said he was in his 30s. And... um, we were talking about the the sphere tickets. Apparently, he's like a ticket expert. Like he bought a ton of tickets on resale sites after the lottery, but before the on sale. And he said he resold them and made like over ten thousand dollars or something already. Then also, they're doing a um, fish is doing a, a festival in Delaware in August. Where he's supposed to do camping, but he he said immediately he saw there was this casino hotel right next to the air. It's like a racetrack. So he instantly got hotel rooms there. And he said they instantly sold out, but he got these hotel rooms so he didn't have to stay in a tent. He was like a fish expert with all this stuff about tickets and hotels and everything. He was a really, really interesting guy. <laughs> it was just, it was cool talking to the people. Um, so, yeah, so I, I stayed up there at that point, just got some water. And made sure I used the bathroom, of course, and because uh, I wouldn't ever want to use the bathroom. Even, even though there's certain songs that are bathroom songs, I would never want to l- 
miss any of the, the music to have to go to the bathroom. Of course, you hear about Taylor Swift fans who uh, resort to adult diapers to not miss a song. But I don't know. Did the Taylor Swift shows not have like set breaks? I don't know. I mean, the Fish shows are like an hour and a half each set, and then there's like a 45-minute break in between them. There's three sets last night. You know, It's weird that it actually was still last night. It's weird. It feels like it was like a week ago at this point. Well, I did it sleep all night, and then I had a nap this afternoon, too. Anyway, let's let's take a look here at the uh, the set list for the first set, which was uh, I would say not necessarily it was it was good it was good but it wasn't anything stand out particularly like uh, let's see started off with everything's right one of the newer songs that some of the older fans don't like I think it's fine then we had a great tube uh, which was jammed out there used to be a um, a Twitter account when it was still called Twitter. I think the guy died though. Uh, the entire Twitter account was called "Did They Jam Out Tube?" because "Tube" is a great song, and um, they hardly ever jammed it out. But they've been jamming it out now for a while. So that Twitter account would either say no or yes when when a show was going on. But Trey was playing this musical theme. It's like din 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 I'm like, what is that? We're gonna make it after all. Right? I'm like, what the hell is that from? Is that from like Rhoda or something? One of those old sitcoms? Turns out it was he was quoting the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. Let me actually hear that. Cause uh it was driving me crazy. I'm like, is that Mary Tyler or I was thinking Rhoda, which is a spin-off of Mary Tyler Moore. So I was in the same uh, televisional universe for that one. Mary Tyler Moore. Good decision using the middle name there. If her name was just Mary Moore, that sounds kind of homely. Is that the right word? Hi, I'm Mary Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, though. Wow. I do respect people that have three names like I do, Frank Edward Nora. Well, I pretty much just have three names on the show here. In real life, I'm just Frank Nora, but in uh, on the show, I'm Frank Edward Nora, so I have three names. Usually, assassins and serial killers are, are, have three names, but there are people like Mary Tyler Moore and me that have three names that are not evil people. <laughs> well, I don't know how evil she was. She may have been evil. I don't know. She seemed to be all right. I don't know. She was going to run for president at one point. I don't think that ever happened. Mary Tyler Moore. Where did this take place? Was this New York? She was a reporter or something? She worked in a newsroom, right? A lot of spinoffs from this show. She's on an escalator. Yeah, I know I used to see this in reruns. Here it is. That's what he. That's what he was uh, quoting on his guitar. <laughs> it was awesome. Mary Tyler Moore. I just remember. Uh, remember Spy Magazine. 
that just came and went in historically, but it was like this snarky humor magazine from New York. And they had this feature separated at birth. So they found this really bad picture of Mary Tyler Moore and it was, it was next to the uh, Cesar Romero Joker <laughs> separated at birth. <laughs> I visited, I, 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 when I was the messenger in New York, I went to the offices of Spy Magazine once. I was there. Okay, yes. Anyway, that was Tube. And then Etheredge, a newer song that I know is very divisive amongst uh, fans. It was okay. I didn't know what song it was when it started, but he says Etheredge. I knew it's, uh, yeah. Then that went into Reba, of course. Everyone loves Reba. And Reba is kind of a Gamehenge adjacent song, so does that mean they're not going to do Gamehenge? Are they going to do Gamehenge with puppets? I don't know. Uh, then Taste, which is a great song. I can't see through the light. Um, Ruby Waves, which is a shorter Ruby Waves. There's been like versions that jammed out for over a half an hour. This was a quick nine minutes for Ruby Waves. Uh, and then a couple controversial songs that seem to be uh, Flow Killers, A Life Beyond the Dream. I remember, I think, I forget when it was. I think it was on this fall tour. One set was going so great, and then he plays A Life Beyond the Dream. And then, of course, Character Zero, which is also considered a, a flow killer at times, where a jam is zeroed, ripcord into, into Character Zero. I ought to see the man Mulcahy, which is apparently a reference to Father Mulcahy from MASH, yeah. I ought to see the man Mulcahy, I... Good song, though. So the first set was really not... I mean, it was good, but it was not great. It was like, whatever. So then it was set break, and I set out to... uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to go... I was skipping the 200s. I went down to the 100 level, and I wanted to do a lap around there, and I wanted to get uh, a hoodie and these socks, these Game Henge socks they have. Uh, But... At this point, this was the fourth night, so all the merch booths were decimated. There was not much left. So I wound up having to get um, the hoodie of the logo (coughs) for the run, which is not that appealing graphically, but I got it anyway. I'm wearing it now. and uh, But in retrospect, it does symbolize what happened. Yes. And I got some potato chips as backup food in case I needed it. Um, and uh, went back up. And uh, I was kind of confused. I'm like, when does the gimmick happen? Does it happen in the second set or the third set? I'm, maybe it's the third set because it's after midnight. I was all confused. Hold on. Let me look at my notes if there's anything I'm missing before we, we move on to the absolute uh, moment. Uh, and again, I can't really emphasize enough the gravity, the importance of what happened and how being there was the most important thing ever and how I almost didn't go. It's hard to convey and I, and I'm experiencing it probably 30% as much as a, a lifelong fan who'd been going to shows 
40, 30 or 40 years, the importance, the gravity, and the uniqueness of what happened, it cannot be overstated. And I know most of you don't know fish and don't under, can't understand how utterly, I can't even think of the word, just incredibly important, vital, amazing what happened was that I, w- I was there. I mean, when I got, I, I was still, I was still stunned. I'm still stunned at what happened. I can't even believe what happened. And I know it's not going to sound impressive if you don't know about fish. But anyway, I got back, I was talking to the, to the guys to the right, you know. Um, and then second set starts and it's do 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 down with the Z's. Down with the Z's, three weeks in my bed. Do 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 do. Thousand barefoot children outside dancing on my lawn. Do do do. Great song, but nothing like what's going on. It's just down with the Z's. Has nothing to do with the game hinge. What I forgot, yes, I knew I forgot something. When I was down to one hundreds, after I got my hoodie and they were completely sold out of the socks. When I got home this morning, I, I, I ordered two pairs of those socks. Not cheap, but and they're not coming till February, but I need those game hinge socks. Anyway, I went to one of those. There's a, uh, there's in Madison Square Garden, there's this refrigerator where you can get a drink, and then you put it on this weird scanner, and you pay with your credit card. And there's this one of the employees there, and there was some drama going on that I wasn't really aware of. Like this guy was... There was some sort of argument going on that I sort of arrived late at. I had no idea what was going on. There was some weird drama going on. And this guy was like, uh, he was annoyed by what was going on in front of him, which I didn't really see. So he's like, ugh. And then he turns around and looks at me. He's like, oh, well, how are you, do- how are you doing? <laughs> right? You can probably envision the, the sequence there. And I'm like, I'm ready to see Game Henge. And the guy's like, listen, dude, it's not going to happen, okay? Everyone thinks it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's going to be no game hinge, okay? Forget it. <laughs> and in fact, yeah, in fact, uh, when I first got to the 300 level, I was walking around, I, I overheard someone saying, listen, everyone, keep your expectations low and you won't be disappointed. Everyone was on edge about this game hinge thing. Everyone was super aware of the rumors. Everyone desperately wanted it to happen, but they couldn't believe they were it was actually going to happen. This guy was, listen, dude, it's not going to happen. Don't get your hopes up, dude. Okay. Game hinge is not going to happen. Anyway. So down with disease. It's like, I think they said it was like 19 minutes. It's a good down with disease jam and everything. So then, <laughs> the next song. I, I think I, I think I just have to play it for you. If I if I can find it here, is it on? Is it on the uh, fishing now? <laughs> Let's see. What happened next? What happened next? And I'm trying to convey what the meaning of this. It's almost impossible, but let me see if it's on there. If not, I did actually download the whole show uh, on video today. Hold on a second. Let's see if I can find this. 
All right, so the down with down with disease disease is over, and here's the next song. So they they go um pa pa um pa, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is this? This is not the okipa ceremony. What is this? And then they start with that that theme and I'm like wait a minute hold on hold on I messed it up right this is what this is what we heard I'm like wait 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 what's this what is going on what is this what is going on and as soon as I heard that it's freaking Harpua oh my god it's Harpua <laughs> and I, I I literally my jaw was I, I, I was slack jawed. I was like, I, my mouth was open. And I looked over at, at the guys to the right of me, and they're like, they're nodding their heads. Yeah, man, it's happening. It's happening. Freaking harpua. Now we didn't realize yet. First of all, just to get a harpua is huge. We didn't know what was in store for us. Well, we were hoping, but. Talking about the bulldog. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, and so I'm not going to play the whole thing. You, you can listen to it. You know, it's on fish.in. The, the fan recording is always going to be available for free. The video version of this whole thing is harder to find, harder to get. I hope the band does put it up permanently on YouTube. But anyway. So when it gets it apart, about so that basically it's about little Jimmy and his cat poster nut bag, and the cat dies, right? So Mike is the father. He's like, Jimmy, I have some bad news for you. And Paige is like, Yes, Dad. It's about your cat poster. He's like, Poster nut bag. Yes, Jimmy. Your cat died. Your cat died. How about how about a replacement pet? How about a goldfish? I don't want a goldfish. And then usually it would be like, I want a dog, a dog. But then Trey stops it. He's like, listen, we've been hearing this story for 40 years. And every time his father's trying to buy him off with a new pet. I think it's time for Jimmy to uh, have a new uh, authority figure. And it turns so. Then I saw from my vantage point, this they had this special stage in it. This this panel like come like it, it goes down, and then you see Jimmy in his bed, of course with the the fishman donut sheet, and he uh, he's lifted up, and there you see Jimmy with a p- puppet version of the cat. I'm like oh my god, there's puppets, there's puppets, and. They introduce Jimmy's grandmother, who's uh, actress Annie Golden, who I wasn't super familiar with, but apparently she was a in a punk band. She was in Orange Is the New Black. She's she played his grandmother, and all right, I have to find the part where they they're ta- telling him you need to learn the history of this world you live in, which is Gamehenge. And there's this part where Mike is talking, and then you're like, no. 
yes, it's actually going to happen. And I, and I just talking about this, I know it's, it's, it sounds stupid, but you don't understand. This is decades, decades, 30 years of people's lives, of endless speculation, of endless yearning. It actually is going to happen. Gamehenge is happening with puppets and everything. And I know no amount of me describing it can explain it to a non-fish fan, but hopefully you get some sort of idea of the gravity of the situation and the fact that I was there. I didn't miss it. Because if we didn't all get COVID, I think I would have missed it. And I can't imagine missing this. This is never going to happen again. It was a one-time thing. Do you understand? Let me find that part. I think this is it. Here it comes. And I also know that years ago, this dude, Colonel Foreman, showed up and tried to save this place by getting the healthy, friendly book back from the evil king who stole it. Oh, shit. At this moment. So he holds up this this record album with like a trapezoid shape and then the entire stage becomes a giant trapezoid. And then we start in the game hand. It happened. Holy shit. I couldn't believe it. It really happened. They start playing the man who stepped into yesterday. God, I'm like I'm having chills just thinking about it. it I mean, do you understand it? All right, all right just 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 take a step back. Do you understand? It is a lifetime of regret if you weren't there. I almost didn't get there. I almost wasn't there. If if I if we didn't get COVID, I would not. I probably wouldn't have been there. The fact that I was there, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to have a lifetime of regret. I was there. Like Manny Ayers says, I was there. Okay, if you know that story. All right. Unbel- I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even, I, I'm like still reeling from this whole thing. Let me take a, let me, let me take a moment. <laughs> I need to take a moment. I wasn't crying then, but I'm almost crying now. Oh, my God. And I understand. It's There was even a meme on, on Reddit where a guy was like, the next day, 
with the people in his house, and the caption was, they don't know I saw Gamehenge. And it doesn't. It, I understand. It doesn't not make it, it sound stupid. It just sounds like this stupid thing that doesn't make any sense. But please understand. And again, me as a fish late bloomer, even though I did get into them in the mid-90s, 30 years ago, how utterly... First of all, just to get a harpua, and the harpua that t- tells the entire story of Gamehenge with actors and puppets and everything. This is... First of all, all the rumors were true. What everyone wanted and no one wanted to believe was going to happen actually happened. And I was there. And <clears throat> I've. There was a set break after that, and it, it was like spanned over two sets. So when I was waiting in line for the bathroom, I, I wrote something like, uh, I can't believe I almost didn't come. I just got my ticket this morning. I'm like, thank you, Holy Blankenstein, you know, referencing the uh, Iculus version in uh, Sci-Fi Soldier. And then this woman's like, I'm the exact opposite of you. My husband was sick, so I decided not to go. And it, and again, you could tell that she's like, it's, it, you know, it, this lifetime of regret. You don't understand. If, if you could have gone and you didn't go, you will be thinking about this for the rest of your life. Because this is not happening again. Being there is everything. And I do feel bad for the people that weren't there. I almost was one of those people that that weren't there. Oh my God. I was in the perfect place. I saw everything so perfectly. It was uh, unbelievable. It was like a perfect vantage point. Now, I, I call this episode Surrender to the Flow. And uh, <clears throat> I know I talked about it, the song Lizards, which, of course, they played because it's part of it's the big part. It's like a big part of Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday and Game Henge. They played the Lizards. I know I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, or was it last episode, about the Helping Friendly book's main message, which is the trick is to surrender to the flow, Right. That's what today's episode is called, Surrender to the Flow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, today I was putting together the show art. As you can see, today's show art that I put together a little earlier today, uh, it's a square with kind of a black border, and it's divided into four. So the upper left is uh, that low-res 3D render of the, the book that I talked about earlier. And then the next image is me uh, down uh, be- at set break before it happened. You can see my uh, uh, my uh, tiki shirt and my uh, mushroom shirt. So that was me before it happened. That was actually right before the guy's like, dude, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right? And then the third image is during Game Henge. That's Tila on the multi-beast. We'll get to that. I took that picture myself. And then the fourth quadrant is uh, a black background, white type. It just says, Surrender to the Flow, the Overnight Scape. Interestingly, that font is called Jolly Lodger, and it's one of the free uh, Google fonts. The reason I chose that is when I was editing the book a few days ago, 
I noticed that there was a, a lowercase letter N in the font Jolly Lodger next to one of the dates in the book. And I fixed it, but I, I made a note of it. So the le- the lowercase N, which you do see in Overnightscape and Surrender and stuff, was there. It was weird. Um, that's the story of the show art. But the idea is that somehow, some way, it all worked out and I was there. I... I can't, I don't know. Imagine if in the original timeline I didn't go and I I myself would have had a lifetime of regret not being there. Somehow, it may have been one of my nephews that got the COVID and then gave it to my father-in-law and then he gave it to all of us. I don't know who had it or how it worked. That was one of the vectors that I thought of. Led to me being there and I have to say you know even when it comes to the sphere I don't care about the sphere anymore do you, do you understand the sphere in Vegas and the fish shows there mean nothing anymore the fact that I was at this show means everything and I, and I know people on Reddit refer to fish as being a cult in a joking way I don't think it's a cult not a traditional cult but it is a band that is more meaningful to the fans than I, I don't know. There's there's levels of meaning that are different, even different than the Grateful Dead, which it, itself is that much more. I I I can't imagine not being there. I I, I I'm still at a loss for words at this point in terms of this experience. Yeah. What a way to enter a new year with this uh, triumph. And I'm so happy that guy Frank was there as well. Another Frank like me. The guy that introduced me to fish was there. He actually was there. I was very happy to hear that. I didn't really continue the conversation because we don't really... It's been decades since we've actually talked to each other, I think. But I needed I needed to just make sure he was there. The guy that got me into it. Anyway, anyway, shall we uh, continue on? So, they started the narration, and then they got into the song "The Lizards," which really introduces everything. And you see, you meet Colonel Forbin, and Rutherford the Brave, and you see uh, McGrupp the dog. It was a puppet dog, and the lizards. And there's this, so it was all of these uh, performers dressed up as lizards. They were dancing around. It was amazing. And then, so, they actually, this version of Gamehenge uh, incorporated songs that were not originally part of The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday. As I said, they created songs afterwards that were part of the world, like Punch You in the Eye, which is a song everyone desperately always wants to be a show opener. Oh, Wilson, someday I'll kill you till you die. Oh, Wilson punch you in the eye um yeah and then acdc bag this is a scene where uh roger who was uh acute who was caught uh funneling money to the rebels is is going to be hanged by wilson using an acdc bag which is a you know the hangman usually wears a bag over their head 
but this is a robot hangman. And uh, that's why they call it an ACDC bag. And there's actually a person dressed up in this robot costume, which sort of like a black money bag as its head. Not exactly how I envisioned the ACDC bag, but it was really effective. Um, and then this incredible ACDC bag jam that was very extended. I can probably play that for you. I'm still if I'm still on that web page. ACDC bag. In fact, um, when I used to watch that, uh, remember that game show that was on the phone called HQ Trivia, and and that host, what was his name, who was a huge fish fan, he's like, uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty, let's get the show on the road, is from this song. With the thousand dollar question. Let me get to the, this, the extended jam. It was amazing because this jam went on for a while, right? How long was this? Yeah, ACDC bag was 18 minutes and 58 seconds. So, I don't know if there's... I don't remember any ACDC bag being this long. Anyway... Um, so as I'm looking down at Madison Square Garden, there's the floor section, the general admission, right? So the stage is to the right and to the left is more seats. So coming around to the left of the general admission is this huge puppet creature, the multi-beast, a three-headed furry creature. And it's being ridden by this woman with long black hair. It really reminded me of like Kate Bush in some ways. And I knew instantly it was Tila, T-E-L-A. Tila, who was a character in Gamehenge. And um, she comes in riding a, mul- a multi-beast. In fact, there was an original version of Tila they stopped playing. I don't think they played original Tila, though. But anyway, she comes around. So it was like five, six, seven minutes, and she's coming around the edge of the general admission on this huge, like, multi-beast puppet creature. That's the picture you see in, on the show art, is the multi-beast when it's on the stage with Tila. But, sadly, it turns out Tila's a spy, and she gets killed in the story. In fact, later, the grandmother and Trey talk about how Tila died, and was she really a spy or not, but... The whole time I was thinking of that uh, scene in Blade Runner where Gaff tells uh, Deckard, too bad she won't live. Because <laughs> I know Tila dies, but she's this amazing character. So Tila comes around, and Tila's an amazing song. Tila, Tila, jewel of Wilson's foul domain. Right? So she's, eventually she arrives at the stage. That, I think, was the highlight of the whole show, was like the arrival of Tila and then they, they fit her to this rig where she can fly through the air and do backflips in the air. And she's doing this dance with Colonel Forbin. And uh, what an amazing, amazing moment. The multi-beast, everything. Now, it was weird because one of the first rumors on Fantasy Tour was... Uh, I don't really go on Fantasy Tour, but I saw it on Fantasy Tour. I was linked. 
uh, where someone said they were at a gondola, maybe in Venice. I don't know. They said they were on a gondola. And this performer spilled the beans that they were a unit beast. But meanwhile, I don't think there was a unit beast character in the uh, in the performance. But anyway, I'm not really too clear on how uh, Rutherford got out of the uh, the river. Apparently he was pulled out by unit beast, but I'm not sure when that happened. Listen, as I said, there's people far more into fish than I am. But I'm in enough to be so strongly affected by this life-changing concert. Um, so it was amazing how they did the aerial act and the, the and all of the acrobatics and everything. It was just absolutely amazing. Um, then we uh, we get to Llama, which is actually not part of the original uh, Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, but later added... Um, and this was a fast llama. There was a, there are slow llamas. This is llama, and so there was a there was a lizard shoot shooting. They had one of those. Uh, T-shirt cannons, shooting T-shirts in, in, into the GA section. Keep it on press, press, press. Llama, taboo, taboo. So it's like a llama that has bazookas on it. Listen, obviously there's a lot of silliness involved. The Grateful Dead was never this silly. I was singing along at this point. Keep it on press to press to press. Lama to boot to boot. Some of the B3 organ there. Anyway, it was amazing. Llama. So this is sort of a, a, a reconstructed and added to uh, Game Henge, right? So then we had Wilson which is a huge song, and it starts off with the chords, and then the whole crowd goes, Wilson, Wilson, right? So they had the whole thing about, because Wilson is the, the evil one, right? Maybe we can hear a little bit of that. Stonehenge. Oh, I mean Gamehenge. And it, and it, it is named after the King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, 
because uh, Trey did live in uh, Princeton when he was younger, which is not near, but not that far from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And one of the lyrics is, in terms of fiefdom, I think you bad crook. <laughs> All right, let me take a bathroom break here. And I'll be back with more. I can only imagine how this sounds to someone. You must think us fish fans are just insane, but we're not. We're part of one of the greatest aspects of pop culture in the 20th and 21st century, damn it. All right, I'm back. Poured a little, uh, just a little more Lafroig. Listen. I didn't I didn't have any I didn't have any drinks on New Year's Eve. I need to have some drinks on New Year's Day to celebrate the new year and Gamehenge. I still can't believe it happened. No one can believe it happened. Do you know, do you know what a relief it is that I was there? I was there. I saw it. I was there. I don't have to regret. There's no regrets. No regrets or regrets or anything. I was there. It's not insane. It makes sense if you're into it. Please. Mm. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, so then we get to The Sloth, which is a fairly rare song. I mean, they do play it. Um, it's about... Well, she can say it. So they uh, they hire this assassin called the Sloth to assassinate the king, but it doesn't really go as planned because he's too slow. So this so this guy, this person dressed up as a sloth is like walking super slowly. They're very good performers to try to kill to ki- try to kill Wilson, but they didn't succeed. Italian spaghetti. So yeah, um, so Wilson and the sloth were there in the front, and Wilson's sort of making fun of the sloth because he's so slow, he can't assassinate Wilson, right? (laughs) Anyway, then we... So then they say Colonel Forbin goes in the forest and uh, meets the people in the forest. And then we get a, a, a huge, amazing 14 and a half minute divided sky. So he goes deep into the woods and 
and here's the sounds of the inner woods of Gidget. The chants and the beautiful sounds of the woodland people. Yes, divided sky. One of the most beloved songs in the Fish Canon. Fairly common to hear in their shows. Uh, big, a big song on their first album, Junta. Not pronounced Junta. Spelled like Junta, but it's Junta. And as I said, there's this one moment where Trey holds this note. And I think the intention is the entire place falls silent. But everyone in the crowd is just screaming. I was silent. I wanted to hear silence at that point. And there's websites about the number of seconds that Trey holds the notes over over the history of the band. I don't think this was a record-breaking amount, but... You gotta hear them say... Divided sky, the wind blows high. Anyway, let's go to the end of here, and they had to split Game Henge into two sets. Let's see here. That's the end of this song. So that was set break for the second set, and uh, yeah, that's when I went to the bathroom and posted that. Let me see if I can find that actual post, because I want to just sort of see the sadness of that woman that didn't go. Uh, uh, Let's see if I can find it here. Hmm. Yeah, here's the actual post that I posted right after that, the set break inside Gamehenge. I wrote, I just got my ticket this morning. I almost didn't come. Thank you, Holy Blankenstein. And then Katniss Everda says, I did the opposite because my husband is homesick and can't go, and I have all the regrets. Rage extra for me. (laughs) So sad. Sneaky TT, please, please rage extra because I can't be there. I have all the regrets. It's, it's, can you imagine? Honestly, Katniss Everda will, for the rest of her life, be thinking about this moment and how she didn't come. I feel bad for Katniss, but I feel happy that I went. Yes. Let's get back to it here. I think I need some more drink to keep going with this. Let's see. Maybe some of you will check out Fish. But I, it's it's not easy. But it's the greatest thing ever. So maybe you want to try to get into it. I don't know. 
It's not easy, though. So, um, yeah, it starts off with um, McGrupp and the Watchful Hosemasters, a fairly rare song to hear live. McGrupp is the, uh, the dog. We'll hear a little bit of that. He looks too much like Dave. That's that song, yeah. That really cool puppet dog that was going all around the stage and all the band members were petting it and stuff. Sorry, I messed up there. The unit monster, yeah, there's the unit monster. He looks too much like Dave. As I'm really, I, I know I've talked about fish a lot in this show, but I, as I get more, like I realize how almost embarrassingly silly everything is to, and someone with that doesn't know the context for all this stuff. <laughs> anyway, after this, we get to the serious part, the ending: Colonel Forbin's ascent and Fly Famous Mockingbird. And um, these are songs that are very rare. They they're always paired together. Very rare to hear on a on a show. You can hear them on a regular show occasion very occasionally. And actually the a- actor playing Colonel Forbin was on one of those harnesses and was climbing up the trapezoid. Now meanwhile the trapezoid is an actual like sculpture somewhere in the Princeton, New Jersey area. Currently I think located on private land, but people make pilgrimages there to see the trapezoid. Trey and his friends used to uh, hang out at the park where the trapezoid was, and that's why it became part of the whole the whole thing. But Colonel Forbin's ascent, a very beloved, sac- almost sacred song in the fish world. Twenty-two dollar beers. And she got a sweatshirt. See, they're talking about Tila. Uh oh. I think we should 
tell everyone the rest of the story. What about you? So, Forbin made it to Wilson's castle, and he stole the book from him. The story divides him. So the idea was they sort of deposed Wilson, but now uh, the Wolf, or Aaron Wolf, I think was the original name, became another kind of dictatorial power in, in Gamehenge. So going from out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. So Foreman knew that there was only one thing left to do, right, Grandma? There's no other, there's no hope left. And by the way, there was no depiction of Iculus, as far as I could tell. That's left to the imagination, as I think is correct. So, like, there's another song called Iculus where they, Trey tells you to read the book. Read Iculus. Yes, it's ridiculous. So he climbs up the mountain, and he, uh, and so you see him climbing up the, and it's, it's hard to describe, but the stage was sort of like two shallow step pyramids, and then the whole section lifted up and became this giant trapezoid. You can see it in the show art a little bit, the picture I took. So Forbin is climbing up, and then he gets to the top, and Iculus says he will send the famous mockingbird to retrieve the helping friendly book.
And the guy that was to the right of me, he's like, you know, it was amazing. The songs Trey wrote when he was young, like Fly Famous Mockingbird. Like he can hardly play it at this point. It's so complicated. Anyway, so a few years, a couple years ago, they in Madison Square Garden, I wasn't there, but I was watching the live stream as I have pretty much live streamed every show they've done for a couple years now to considerable expense, though well worth it. (laughs) Um, They had one show where they had these whales and dolphins flying through the air of Madison Square Garden using this company from Germany that creates these helium-filled balloon creatures with remote control. It's just amazing. So the famous Mockingbird was one of these uh, um, puppet flying creatures. It was a white bird with flapping wings and a top hat and carrying the Helping Friendly book, flying all around Madison Square Garden. But at one point, it kind of failed. Excuse me, I'm hiccuping. And people started grabbing the book, like in the crowd, <coughs> and then it kind of died. And then they had to sort of bring it, they had to sort of take it inside again. It was kind of sad. Jeez, am I hiccuping? hiccuping? This is crazy. I'm trying to find what they say. Fly, famous mockingbird. Anyway, this was around the time of midnight, and it was about time. Even though they did it about a minute early, we had... This was less than 24 hours ago, by the way, for me right now. Eight. Seven. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. And you could tell there were people like throwing all these like, you know, the pieces of paper, like the confetti from inside the ceiling all over Madison Square Garden. But anyway, that was the end of Game Hand. And now we're into 2024. Wow. <laughs> but the show's not over yet. They continue. As you'll hear, <coughs> Trey says the mountain was actually an active volcano. And they did what some people were saying was the best split open and melt ever. This is possibly an addition to the Gamehenge uh, mythology that Split Open and Melt is about a volcano. But every song they performed at this point was just incredible.
Listen, if you don't know split open a melt, I don't know what to tell you. It's a, it's incredible. Split open and melt. Anyway, so now we're pretty much done with Game Henge, and uh, what do we get? The signature fish song, You Enjoy Myself. No, this is great. Sorry, this is You Enjoy Myself. This is uh, the signature song. This is somewhat what gets a lot of people into the band is uh, You Enjoy Myself. Amazing song. The only lyrics are, Boy, man, God, shit. Wash your feet, drive into frenzy. You Enjoy Myself. Amazing. And uh, at some point in the band's history... They uh, finish the song with Wash your feet, drive me to Firenze. Wash your feet, drive me to Firenze. And then they do what they call the vocal jam. And this was unbelievable. I was at that, at this point, I w- during the vocal jam, I was like, Am I here? What the hell's going on? Wow. Here's the vocal jam section. the end of the regular part. This was an incredibly surreal moment. Last night. This morning, actually. Was this really this morning? I can't, I can't resolve that in my mind. This happened this morning. The lights are going crazy, the lighting effects and everything. Oh, 
And then they go into the Rolling Stones cover, Loving Cup. From Exile on Main Street. <coughs> I'm the man. This is a, a very common encore song. At this point, it's it's all icing on the cake. No one cares at this point. Everything is icing on the cake. It's great. No matter what happens now, we had Game Henge. But they weren't done yet. Even though this could be a set closer, what was up next? Another Game Henge adjacent song, Possum. Written by Jeff Holdsworth, the guy that quit fish back when they were in college. Talk about a lifetime of regrets. He probably gets a few bucks every time they play this song and the much less common Camel Walk was his other song. Come from top the mountain, baby, where the people come to pray. It's only 8.28 p.m. now, the next day, so like, yeah, this was this morning for me. This song, Mike sings this song. Wow! Let's go, let's go to the end of the, uh, the end of the show here. Possum, possum, ahead is the road. It's about a dead possum on the side of the road. So at this point, now, they always do an encore, you know, and uh, the guy to the left was like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and he's like, I'll be, I'll be quick. And I could tell the woman was like, no, don't go to the bathroom. This, the, they never take too long to do the encore. It's like two minutes. But who knew? We were hoping because they did um, uh, punch you in the eye and the sloth. It was possible we could get a triple nipple, which is one of the rarest occurrences in fish history. I believe it only happened twice in the 1980s. A triple nipple, because there's three songs where they talk about giving someone a paper cut on their nipple, which I know is rather odd, but all three songs talk about it. The third song, of course, would be Fee, about a weasel named Fee. And uh, so I was really thinking, I didn't see the, the, the megaphone that Trey uses to sing Fee. Uh, and people, a bunch of people posted about it on Reddit afterwards that there, that there could have been a triple nipple. Listen, Game Henge is one thing. Triple nipple is even rarer. What was that sound? What the hell just happened? Hold on, let me hear back. Let me listen to that back. What was that? Like my my stomach growling or something? I don't know. Anyway, so I'm thinking, come on, you got to do fee, the triple nipple on top of everything else. 
And, you know, we knew they were going to do Tweezer Reprise, but they could have done Chalk Dust Torture Reprise, but honestly, that probably wasn't in the cards. So, anyway, here was the encore, beginning of the encore. What do we got? Yes. Cavern. Give the director a serpent deflector, a mud rat detector, a pitcher of nectar. And then what came after that? You know it. Not tube, but first tube. And I remember that first tube when I was there over the summer. That freak out, man, when I went to that other section. At the end of the song, Trey raises up his guitar over his head. In a triumphant pose. But we know it's not over yet because we know we're going to get that tweezer reprise from the tweezer the other day. Here it is, of course. Tweezer reprise. Let's hear the whole thing. It's not long. Even politician Pete Buttigieg once said that sometimes you just need a tweezer reprise. To step into the freezer. Step into the freezer. about one o'clock already at this point one o'clock in the morning this morning that doesn't make sense to me but it is true as far as I can tell tweezer reprise now you can say you've heard a tweezer reprise you step into the freezer
Yes. So now if I'm asked the question, what was the best concert you've ever, you've ever been to? There is no doubt it is the concert I went to yesterday and this morning. The greatest of all time. The ultimate. There is no comparison. This was the show. And there was one post on Reddit that's like, if this was your first fish show, I don't know whether to congratulate you or console you because, you know, it's all downhill from here. It's true. I mean, to me, my interest in the sphere, what is this sphere? What are these $7,000 tickets? Like, I don't care about this sphere anymore. I, I was there. I was there last night and this morning for this show. I'm not spending $7,000 for this fear, and I'm fine with that now. Even though the guy to my right, he's like, these tickets are going to come way down. Ticketmaster is going to start selling verified uh, tickets. They're going to be much cheaper. I may still go out to Vegas for this fear. Fish will next be seen in Mexico at uh, the Mexico shows in Quintana Roo. Riviera Maya. Uh... I don't know. I don't know how they move on from this. They just have to move on. This was peak fish. This was the greatest ever. I I, I, I don't know how people are reacting to this, listening to this. You think I've gone insane. The whole world's gone insane. Sloths and and, and multi-beasts and oh my God. I'm telling you. <clears throat> I'm still reeling from it. But just a relief that I was there in a good seat, great seat, to see the whole thing. So at that point, I, I, I went over, you know, the 300 section down. I used the bathroom one more time and headed into the stairwell, which I much, much prefer to the escalators. The stairwell was quick, quick. This one guy like started screaming in the stairwell. He's like, he was with this group of people. He's like, hey, everybody. 2023 was just a fart compared to what you're going to experience in 2024. And he started laughing and everyone around him was laughing. What the hell does that mean? 2023 was just a fart compared to what you're going to experience in 2024. I distantly thought, is this guy like a time traveler who knows what's going to happen in 2024? He's teasing all of us regular people? I don't know. But we came out in the section. We had to go out through the way we came in. Went past merch and uh, saw the socks were sold out. So I'll get my socks in a, next month, February. It is January now. I'm going to get my socks. I want two pairs, so I'll always have a pair. To wear more for my, uh, you know, like bedtime clothes, my lounge clothes. I've been having sock issues. I need new socks anyway. These socks aren't cheap, but they will be cherished socks. Because I will think of the Game Hen show forevermore. Without the lifetime of regret of not going. Because I went. (laughs) (coughs) 
And any of you that are fish fans that didn't go, I understand. There maybe have to be support groups for your situation. You can always watch the video online. I'm sure you watched the video. It's not the same as being there, but it was all right, I suppose. No, he had to be there. There's actually a, a an addiction group that meets up during set break. I was kind of confused by them a few times, but they they have this balloon, you know, like the idea that you get a certain object that you have and then you can speak and you pass it on. I passed by that group, the addiction group. Um, I think it's called the fellowship with a PH. I can only count myself fortunate not to have experienced addiction to that extent uh, at all in my life. But I understand the recovery is a very important thing, and they and they meet up like a twelve step program. I, I I walked past that the other night. Well, this morning, last night. I'm very confused to this point. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Yes. And uh, so yeah, I just walked down to the New Jersey Transit area and saw there was a train on track fifteen. Going to Secaucus Junction. I ran because it was uh, leaving at 122 and it was about 121. I ran and uh, the train was completely packed, completely full. I saw one spot available in one of the vestibules. I ran in. There was literally not room for another person. I stood there. I had my my bag with all of my uh, waters and potato chips, which I didn't consume all of them in the show, and my my hoodie. There's a few minutes as they tried to get everyone in the train. Very jammed vestibule for 10 minutes, train ride over to Secaucus. It's a little hot, a little cramped, very cramped. When the door opened to Secaucus, it was a wonderful feeling of relief and a blast of cold air from the night air as I got out of the train and just made my way down to, uh, you know, I had my ticket in my wallet. You need to pay as you exit at Secaucus. Scan your barcode. And I got over to the uh, <clears throat> the parking lot, and I asked the guy, I wanted to double-check, listen, I, I paid when I came in. Am I still good? I, I just want to make sure. He's like, yeah, you're you're good. You can exit. Went over to the car, got a cigarillo, lit it up, drove out, and I loved that drive home from uh, Secaucus Junction on that back road in Secaucus, on, then onto Route 3 past the American Dream complex with the Ferris wheel and the newly installed video walls on the outside. And I got home and I uh, was like, uh, still couldn't believe what happened. Still, I st- and I still can't believe what happened. It was the, uh, yeah, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Yeah, pause there for a second. Yeah, it turns out that that guy Frank <coughs> was in section three sixteen. I was in three fourteen. I I I can't believe I, I I didn't run into him. I think I would have recognized him from the nineties. The guy that got me into fish. Wow, that, that's wild that he was right there. Amazing.
<coughs> oh, there was a synchronicity on last episode that I wrote. I jotted down. Um, I know last episode I was talking a lot about Richi Mahjong, the Japanese Mahjong, how it's sort of like gin rummy on steroids. Well, on the other side, there was a clip from that, I think it was a pilot for a, a 70s TV show called Time Express about a train that goes back in time. And the people that were like the caretakers of the train were talking about playing a game of gin rummy. That was pretty wild, right? Time Express. Who was who that actor that has that very distinctive voice? Time Express? Let me see what that actor's name was. A lot of synchronicities. No, Time Express TV series, yes. Jonathan Winters. Well, well, who was that guy? The, the cast. <laughs> None other than Vincent fucking Price. Holy crap. How could I have for- forgotten it was Vincent Price? Holy crap. About playing Jin Rummy. <coughs> no wonder his voice was distinctive, but I don't know why I couldn't place the voice. Yeah, Vincent Price, for God's sakes. Classic. Classic situation. <coughs> All right, so uh, what have we learned today? It's, it's 2024. Best start to a year ever. And uh, yeah, what's going to happen this year? I don't know. Good stuff. A lot of good stuff, let's say. Good stuff. Anyways, thank you so much for patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey. Check it all out at onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G dot com. The new book is out, Onsug Radio. Check it out on Amazon. Go to onsug.com for all your information. Get the book. We have over 14,000 hours of content for you to listen to. It truly is an embarrassment of riches and the mother load if you're into such things. Don't forget, you can participate. Your voice can be in this archive that we intend for people to listen to into the near and far future. We're a completely non-commercial project. There's a show called Overnightscape Central. And 10 days from now or 9 days from now on the 10th of January 2024 is the deadline to get your entry in. For Overnightscape Central, taken over now by Dave in Kentucky after PQ River, in truth of consequences, New Mexico ended his 13-year run on the show with one year being done by Jimbo, who passed away in 2017. Please do consider recording on the topic of fast food, the occult, and other bad ideas. You can talk about fast food or the occult or bad ideas or all three. There's no limit to how long you can go or how short you can go. Record some audio, make it into an MP3 or any other audio format, and email it to Dave in Kentucky at Dave KY, that's D A V E K Y, at mail.com, that's M A I L.com. Record your audio and send it to D A V E K Y at M A I L.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do. And now, 
let us uh, embark into a, uh, we can all be the men and women that stepped into yesterday and tomorrow here on the other side.
Thank you, John. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Tiny all. Tim, play Tiny Tim. That's what you gotta play. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. He's yeah. He's the greatest ever, man. He's Women great. Oh, he's the greatest. You see. Yeah. You see if I ain't right, Kenny Everett. Really, really. He's the greatest ever on earth, Play Tiny Tim, gentle readers. No, no, Tiptoe no. through the two left. It's not. He's real. He's real, man. We saw him. He's like her, but he's much better. You've seen great, really. He's good. He's great. I mean, he's good with it. It's like, it's a funny joke at first, but it's not real. He's great. It's real, it's, and it's true. How old is he? Tiny Tim for president, or Tiny Tim for queen. Tiny Tim for president. Tiny Tim for queen. Well, that's it, really. Yeah. Thank you, Ronald. He'd like to interview with my cohorts for the following few months' show. What is it? It's the Kenny Everett Show. It's the last It's nice to be on the air again. Beetle George speaking from EMI Studios. Sing goodbye to me. It's my last show next week. Is it? Snap, 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 snap.
out of a hundred, competition works. When it doesn't, the government steps in to prevent monopolistic attempts. That was a tough break. Now the next time... Only a business operating at a steady profit can give its workers security and employee benefits. Operating at a profit, a business can provide the employee with comfortable, colorful working conditions. High wages and steady employment. First aid and health protection. Accident and life insurance. Time off for vacation. The employee working for a profitable business can maintain a savings account, own his own home, and have plenty of leisure to enjoy the peace and quiet of family life. When investors receive fair dividends, they are eager to supply industry with a steady flow of capital to create new tools and plants, which in turn create new jobs. With business prosperous and employment high, the farmer has a ready and profitable market for the sale of his produce. When businesses all over the country operate at a steady profit, our economic health is tops. Billions of taxes paid out of profits flow into local, state, and governments. The profit motive has been the driving force back of the growth of American industry. American system of free enterprise will give the young people of today the freedom of opportunity to develop ideas which will make a better way of life for the children of tomorrow.
survivor in the land of chewing. There a gang of chewings live, eating only things that do not live. Alone, never was out walking one day, when he came across the gang. The gang stopped their feasting, tried to talk to Nabra, but Nabra was very timid, so he climbed the nearest tree. Instead, in a poetic slur, what ails you, Mr. Nabber? What ruffles your fur? Then Nabber said, with a handful of bread, This bread has gone bad, it's not like I first had. The wind seems too strong, and the ground feels too weak. I'm warning you soon, my meals will be meek. Don't pounce at the Cubans from out of their snout. Good bread lies about, and the drink will be fine. I hear in the West, they have bright golden wine. Wish you the best and lots of luck to die.
This program is made possible in part by grants from Radio Shack, a division of Tandy Electronics Limited, Digital Equipment of Canada Limited, NABU Manufacturing Corporation, and the following companies. Patterns of light on the video screen. Images bright, flowing an endless stream. Bits of information, logic black and white. Bits and bytes of information Welcome to Bits and Bytes. In this episode, we're going to analyze what a computer program is.
Imagine a movie so real, it's like being part of the experience, like you actually flying over snow-capped mountains and seeing people as if they're live on stage, and all without 3D glasses. ShowScan is a revolutionary breakthrough in film, and Dallas is one of four cities in the whole country to have it. ShowScan is so unique, you have to see it in a special theater. Normally, we show you scenes from the movies we review. But you can't project ShowScan on TV because it's large screen 70 millimeter with six track stereo. New Magic is the first ShowScan feature. It opens to the public next Thursday, February 9th. The only place you can see it in this area is at the Showbiz Pizza Place, the one on Montfort at LBJ Freeway in Dallas. I recommend ShowScan's New Magic, a short feature that will open your eyes to a whole new movie experience. And finally, we get 3D without these dumb glasses. Bobby Wygant, Channel 5 Action News.
There are 22 million trucks of all kinds on the roads of America, from little delivery vans right up to the giants. The Labor Department predicts a 23% increase in big rig vehicles by 1985. Of all the freight moved in the United States, approximately 75% is moved by truck. So it isn't surprising that Tom McMillan and others like him are going to school to learn about trucking. There are some hundred schools around the country, and one of these is the Truck Master School in Los Angeles and Phoenix. There's a lot to learn in here before one even touches a truck. Rules and regulations, fundamentals of the diesel engine, length and coach limits, gear patterns for 10 and 13 speed transmissions. One day soon, these people will each have to be responsible for a hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery. Have you ever a trailer? Perhaps not. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. Truckmaster School has a fleet of 35 tractor trailers available for its students. More and more women are getting into trucking. A good driver of a big rig doesn't have to be a massive muscle. What is required is concentration, coordination, and a trucker touch. Remember in the book it said most turbochargers, biggest problem is due to oil failure? Okay, this is your oil line coming up there. When the time comes, the students train one-on-one -on -one with their instructors, all of whom have 10 to 20 years of experience on the road. To the uninitiated, driving one of these trucks is like learning to fly a jetliner. There's a long checklist of things to be done before you can even start the engine. At this point, Tom has been through two weeks in the classroom. Ahead of him lies another month or so of training at the wheel before he graduates. Truckmaster is currently turning out 200 graduates each month. Some of the trickiest operations in truck driving don't happen out on the highway. For someone starting out, coupling, connecting the tractor to the trailer, can be a somewhat nerve-wracking process. You're making precise movements with some very big objects. That big flat steel disc is called the truck's fifth wheel. Once that is in place, Tom hooks up the air hose to the trailer's brakes, called glad hands, and rolls up the landing gear. Once he gets out of the yard, Tom can start to feel like a real truck driver. It's not enough just to teach a person how to drive a truck if you can't find him a job. There are about 100,000 trucking companies in the United States, and Truckmaster has a 90% job placement record. The tuition is not cheap, but graduates can expect to make it back in their first month of work. The U.S. Department of Labor predicts that as the trucking boom continues, there will be a demand for 50,000 new jobs each year. This year, 30,000 new drivers are coming out of America's trucking schools. So for Truckmaster, there is plenty of room to grow. In the middle of New York's East River,
information it has become essential to us continually enriching us the primary source of information today the internet it's like electricity ubiquitous reliable and radically simple to connect to 3com calls this datatricity a key component of datatricity for the nerve center of the modern home is here it's audrey from 3com the first member of the ergo family this elegant breakthrough internet appliance will save time and shape how people stay up to date. Radically simple. 
Ha, ha, ha.